And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Coming to you live from our radio and television studios here in beautiful northwest Pennsylvania. We're broadcast live each and every weeknight, Monday through Friday, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Global Star Radio Network. Uh, a little bit of a rush beforehand. My wonderful daughter, Jackie, just came to the studio as well. And uh, greeting, greeting her at the door, of course, having to get past security, you know. And uh, anyway... Uh, Folks, we're simulcast on Blog Talk Radio. And, of course, you're watching us on YouTube Live. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for your uh, belief and trust in us uh, each and every weeknight that we broadcast. And, and don't forget, folks, we've got two different websites. Go to HagmanReport.com. Go there for news, show prep, analysis, and uh, all the information that's important. And also Hagman and Hagman.com there. You can get the show uh, live or get the venue information. And, um, of course, uh, both uh, websites important to bookmark both. I, I will be resurrecting HomelandSecurityUS.com. Uh, I, I will be doing that uh, for a lot of reasons. As the situation in Syria and the war that seems to be looming between the United States and, and Russia, uh, NATO allies and Russia, folks, it's it's getting very serious. It's been serious, but as, as you know, um, back uh, three years ago, we had warned about this day, warned about these events, and, and now we're seeing coming to fruition that the next couple of weeks, I believe, are going to be extremely important, extremely telling, and uh, I just I just have to have to really be, uh, I just really want to make sure people understand that. Um, now, tonight's broadcast, we have in our second hour a guest, Joe, uh, you... Uh, Joseph Meyer will right. be coming on in hour two. His website is straightmoneyanalyst.com. And you can, uh, if you go to that website, you can go to the about page and find out more about him. And we'll be giving you a, a bio. He's been a guest on Caravan to Midnight with John B. Wells, as well as, uh, many other radio, uh, interviews on, on mainstream media, as well as magazine and other media outlets. And he is a, a very well respected economist and has been yes. doing this for over five decades. So we're going to talk about the global economy, the dangers that the global economy faces, as well as our uh, domestic economy, and what we are looking at uh, as banks continue to warn about a collapse in the imminent future from HSBC employees to uh, other banks. There was a, an interesting article that came out today. So we're going to get into that and get a... Uh, a big picture of what is going on both uh, locally and globally when it comes to the economy and what we can expect in the near future. Right. And in the first hour, we're going to get into uh, some important news and information. There's a lot going on as we are just three and a half weeks out of this election, and it can't come soon enough as the mainstream media continues its collusion with the Hillary Clinton campaign. And emails continue to be released from the Podesta emails to paid speeches uh, 
and emails from the Democratic National Committee, as well as um, some interesting stories. You know, we see, I see the mainstream media has been reporting on these uh, Donald Trump sexual allegations from groping to um, a few other things that they're talking about, inappropriate behavior by Donald Trump towards women. He, he gave a, consider the he gave a speech. Interesting. Yeah, well, I just want to say, in case you didn't see it, he gave a a very mm-hmm. historic speech uh, today, and I, I listened to a lot of it a lot in real time, and I think in, in one site they had 30,000 live views, 37,000, I believe. But the... Um, but, but the content of that speech, you know, he did uh, call again for the investigation and potential arrest uh, if, and, and, you know, potential conviction of of, of Clinton, which, and I was, it, I, as I was watching it, Joe, I, I had this overwhelming feeling of, uh, uh, I, I worried for his safety, I worried for Trump's safety, and, and I still do. And, and I think that there are a lot of people out there um who are, who should pray for his safety. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, some of these latest email, uh, releases talk about the, uh, the show, the, the depths of corruption inside the Clinton campaign. And even, uh, the WikiLeaks emails of the DNC show organized attempts to, um, create false stories about Trump and women and put them out in the public narrative as though they were Donald Trump's. They even talk about creating fake, fake Craigslist ads yes. under the name of Donald Trump in order to turn her and asking, placing an ad on Craigslist for hot women uh, in order to make the Republican candidate look as sexist as possible. Yeah, and there are emails are so that talk about... Though. I mean, that's obvious. Well, it's not obvious to a lot of people because... Well, the majority of the people who pay attention to the media for short periods of time uh, <coughs> and don't do the, the follow-up research see these headlines about um, Donald Trump allegedly groping people or, or kissing people, um, and that's the beginning and end of the story. They're not seeing, uh, you know, these WikiLeaks uh, emails. They're not seeing the coordinated effort between the Clinton campaign and the media because the media will not report on it. Um, and if they do, they will make it a footnote, or they will uh, do it do their best to cover up the key points here. And you know, networks like CNN and MSNBC, you get minimal coverage of anything uh, damning to Hillary Clinton if you get it at all. And yeah. as the election draws near, you're going to see more of these smear campaigns, personal attacks, and dirty tricks from the media and the Clinton campaign. And these also false poll numbers that are being put out, these false polls and, and poll numbers. And when I say false, um, it's shown that, you know, they're oversampling Democrats and, and people who have voted Democrat in the past almost uh, two to three times more than they're sampling Republicans in these polls, which is giving you the stories with Hillary Clinton and double-digit leads or seven, eight-point leads, and they're doing it um across the board from state to state. And there's even emails that are showing further collusion between the DNC and the Clinton uh, for the purposes of undermining Bernie Sanders in the democratic process. Of course. 
Uh, which, which I, and I have no love at all for Bernie Sanders, but you, you have to respect the process, and the process is being uh, there's criminal activity within the process. Yeah, I was that, just going over um, a, a, a timeline, and interestingly enough, from one of the emails that was released, Hillary Clinton talks about having Tim Kaine as her vice presidential candidate in July of 2015. This was shortly after, uh, in 2011, he was, he stepped down as the head of the DNC and recommended Debbie Wasserman Schultz to take his place. Right. And you could, you know, reach the conclusion that, um, was this a favor being returned, him being picked for the vice presidency? Uh, and there's emails that, that go to further this point. That's the one the thing that, that WikiLeaks has done. Is laid bare. Now, again, we are every, every, with every leak that comes out, we are downloading, uh, I mean, almost instantly all of the information. Uh, so we've got, and we're saving on external hard drives. And we're also, every YouTube video or every video that comes out that has some, um, I'll say evidentiary value to it. With respect to the content, we because these are disappearing. A lot of them are disappearing. We're saving offline, and and I'll I'll just say that that there's um I was reading some uh, reading some assessments of the WikiLeaks uh, documents, and some people were saying that there's no smoking gun or there's nothing uh, uh, there's nothing of value in them. And, I, and I, look, unless they knew ahead of time what was in them, how can they say that? Because the, the information is so vast. Um, I think it took me probably close to close to an hour to, to download the zip files of of the leaked uh, leaked documents. So uh, you can't believe what you hear or what you read on the internet. I just want to let people know that. Now, uh, at the after the next break, I do have some information I want to give to our listeners. So, folks, and I didn't even share this with Joe or anyone, um, but it, it does have something to do with the. Uh, uh, with the, with the topics, the, the, the leaks, and also the infiltration point, um, the point of infiltration, what's taking place within our own camp, and very important. I just uh, just want to say that. So, um, I, you know what? I, I want to thank Diane for Diane R for sending. If, if you're listening, I'm not going to get into the the actual content of, of the note that she sent. Uh, Diane R., um, God bless you for sending your um, your note here that we have. Uh, she wrote this on October 7th, and uh, um, she, she yeah, it, it's, it's very nice. And she sent along some some very interesting. Uh, postcards as well, some beautiful images in the uh, San Luis Valley, Colorado, where she is actually from, and I believe that she has taken these, um, taking these images, sunflowers, sunflowerstudios.us.com, uh, uh, sunflowerstudios.us.com, very, very beautiful uh, images and, and postcards. But I was really, really impressed by the by the information that she offered within her letter. And I, I just want to say publicly thank you to her and, uh, thank you for the cards. But the, um, the information you offered is, is very valuable. And, and I don't have permission to share this, 
uh, on air, but I just I just at least want to acknowledge this on air. So, uh, but um, yeah, there, there's a lot of news here. It's again, we're getting inundated. I think with um, my goodness, these headlines, Joe. We're we're just it's difficult to um, it's difficult to keep up. By the way, yesterday when we had uh, uh, Debbie on talking about Agenda 2030. Melinda had sent an email, and I wanted to... I, I didn't get a chance to, to, to say this during uh, Debbie's appearance last night, but uh, uh, Melinda had written that uh, the Fish and Wildlife tried to find Melinda, her family, $100 a day and threatened to toss her husband in jail because of a rainstorm, because a rainstorm washed out their driveway. And what happened was... Uh, the uh, Fish and Wildlife Commission insisted that they install a fish, a fish passage system. Ended up costing $400,000. She writes, we couldn't afford that. Are you surprised? Uh, so we, de- uh, we dedicated our front acre to the city for them to build the culvert. In other words, uh, she ceded the, her property to the, uh, to the government, which, the reason I bring this up is, I mean, our forefathers revolted for less. Um, just to touch base on, on what we talked about yesterday. Uh, it, it, this is just incredible. Melinda, our prayers are with you and certainly our, our thoughts are with you. But, but you know, I, what we're seeing here is this government tyrannical takeover of private property under the auspices or under the pretext of, uh, of uh, what would you call it? Uh, the, the green space, uh, fish and wildlife preserves. You know, got to save the salamander, whatever. But it's big business. Go ahead, Joe. It is, and uh, that was a great show last night, folks. If you want to go back and listen to the hours two and three, uh, we talked about Agenda 2030 and the uh, federal government's plan to, and, and working with the United Nations to implement the agenda. And that's part of, uh, you know, what has been released in the emails, one of the more important ones. Hillary Clinton's call for a hemispheric government with open borders and open trade. Gee whiz. Um, is right, the- basically right from the, you know, Agenda 21 handbook on how to create a sustainable global government. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the, uh, what was going on in the Middle East, the conflict and potential for, more military action in uh, the Middle East. We have a few important stories. There were reports that a, a Yemen uh, rebel group had fired a missile, uh, the second one in a week, yep. at a U.S. destroyer that was um, answered today by the United States military as they bombed three separate uh, Yemeni rebel targets in what they called limited self-defense strikes. This is to to uh, this is uh, to to mess with the Suez Canal, correct? Or, or the Red, this was in the Red Sea. Okay. Uh, from from what happened, and Iran uh, deployed a destroyer, and the U.S. Um, only launched those three strikes in retaliation to the missile that was launched at the U.S. destroyer uh, twice this week. So we'll see um, what happens there. But the big thing is Syria, and there's an interesting article on Zero Hedge. Obama to decide Friday on military action in Syria. 
and it talks about how the U.S. broke off bilateral relations with Russia over ongoing proxy <laughs> war in Syria, yep. and as part of America's next steps, next steps would be a discussion on military options. Reuters reported that discussions are being held at the staff level and have yet to re- uh, produce any recommendations to the president, but they are uh, talking about ordering military actions in Syria against President Assad in the country's uh, multi-sided civil war. The president has asked all of the agencies to put forward options, some familiar, some new, that we're very actively reviewing, uh, and this is... Um, from uh, Reuters talking to a person inside the U.S. intelligence agencies. And what they say is, when we are able to work through these in the days ahead, we'll have an opportunity to come back and talk about them in detail. Now, Friday, tomorrow, Obama is going to meet with top foreign policy advisors to consider what military options they have in Syria against Syrian and Russian aircraft as they continue to pummel Aleppo and other targets. As the tensions rise, um, they can't bring World War III fast enough. That's all. Yeah, they say um, if they don't do something now, they're going to risk losing what influence they still have over the moderate rebels and its Arab, Kurdish, and Turkish allies in the fight against the Islamic State. Now that's what the uh, spokesman said. And what's interesting about this article is that uh, they're talking about taking some kind of military action without the approval of Congress. Of course. Which is this continued pattern of warmongering. Uh, you know, we saw it in the last eight-year presidency by George Bush. We're seeing it this presidency with Obama through drone strikes and other um, uh, increasing of war in, in different countries from Iraq to Afghanistan to Syria to the Arab Spring and the situ- situation we have now. But the U.S.-Russian relations, at least on... Uh, paper look pretty bad i don't know you know how much of this is uh, being done to create a, a public perception that makes it seem like that we're on the edge of conflict versus uh, actually being on the edge of con- conflict with russia but they uh, this article ends by saying that they um, consider it unlikely that obama will order airstrikes on the syrian government targets and stress that he may not make any decisions uh, with the security National Security Council, um, but that all bets are off when Obama is replaced by his successor, whoever that may be. Well, it's it's I, 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 I sadly I, before I, he chooses to take action. Sadly, I feel it's going to be Clinton, if if at all. Um, <clears throat> but, but but here's you might ask yourself, well, okay, what's going on with with the with what you're talking about with Syria? And, and again, I, I've often said, and I'll say it again, Syria is, is really the epicenter of the of World War III. That's going to be the trigger point. But, but folks, listen to this, because this will give you an idea as to why the cover-up, why the uh, what the problem is with respect to Syria and the Middle East. And once you understand, um, once you approach this as a criminal investigation rather than a geopolitical investigation, then you'll understand what's going on here. And, and also, you identify the players. What, what the WikiLeaks uh, email um, the expose has done is they've laid bare the players, the co-conspirators in this, the people who are involved at this. And, and, and it, it just it pains me to, to, to listen to the media or, well, even some in the alternative media who are not 
getting to the root of the issue of the issues. One of the biggest issues is, of course, at the epicenter of everything is the Clinton Foundation. Mm-hmm. You cannot underest- you cannot understate the importance of the Clinton Foundation. The Clinton Foundation has in its grasp through its monetary uh, reach and, and, and such, uh, not just Democrats, not just communists or democratic national socialists or communists, but you've got, uh, and, and not just Hillary and Bill Clinton and Chelsea Clinton, which she is neck deep in this as well. Don't, don't even consider Chelsea Clinton as some, uh, 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 you know, child here. She is involved, in my view anyway, in, uh, it's my opinion, in, in espionage and, and seditious activity as much as Bill and Hillary, her, her um, alleged parents. Uh, <clears throat> at least uh, when it comes to Bill. Maybe it's uh, Hillary and Webb. Uh, that's mom and dad for Chelsea. But but having said that, uh, here's what's really important. If uh, Joe Klein referenced this, and uh, he's, a, he's a good investigative journalist, but one of the things that I, I want to get to really quick here before the, before the bottom of the hour is once you understand, folks, that Saudi Arabia and, and, and Qatar, or Qatar, or whatever, however you want to pronounce Qatar. that stupid country, yeah, they are funding ISIS and the Clinton Foundation. These emails, the Podesta emails, have laid bare the players here. WikiLeaks uh, released in August 2014 email from Hillary Clinton to John Podesta, who currently serves now as Hillary's campaign chairman, stating that the governments of Saudi Arabia and Gutter, maybe that's a good pronunciation, uh, they have been providing covert or clandestine financial and logistical support to ISIS. Now, he refers to ISIS as ISIL. And and let me explain to you the distinction once more between ISIS and ISIL. When Obama or anyone else in the media or in, in government refers to ISIS as ISIL, they are slapping Israel down. Obama, his regime, and others who refer or to or who use ISIL, ISIL, as opposed to ISIS, is a demonstration of anti-Semitism. The uh, this ISIL is a reference to the Levant, which um, ISIL, of course, Islamic State of Syria and the Levant. It refers to the old Ottoman Empire, wherein there was no recognized Jewish homeland. The more commonly used is ISIS. It stands for the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. So you have to ask yourself why the name change. Is it, is it because of some geopolitical? No, no, it's a slap. It's, it's a, uh, it's, they know more than you do or I do, you see. So they're gonna, they're gonna call it ISIL, but this is really an insult to the Jewish homeland. So whenever, on, on this program, this is going to be a rule now. Are we, are, Eric? Huh? Okay. Corporate meeting minutes. Write this in the corporate meeting minutes. Uh, Joe, you too. We will not use ISIL. Smack him. I can do that because he's my son. 
uh, <coughs> ISIS is what we because ISIL to, to ISIL is a um, nothing but a, a slop to Israel, and we don't do that here. It's anti-Semitic garbage, but and it adds confusion also. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, so the when you look at these emails, and there are some nuggets here. In 2014, August, there was an email from Hillary Clinton to John Podesta, uh, wherein um, he verified that Saudi Arabia and, and Qatar have been providing clandestine financial and logistical support to ISIL and other radical Sunni groups in the region. Now, it's interesting because at the same time, well, in December of 2014, if you follow the timeline, Obama came out on the in the mainstream corporate garbage, Illuminati-controlled mass muffled media and, and praised Saudi Arabia's significant role in helping fight ISIS. What the hell are you talking about? You're funding it. Okay, now the, uh, this, you know, Prince with 75 names and, and too many uh, too, too many vowels. Uh, Prince Mohammed bin Naif bin Abdulaziz um He's the Minister of the Interior of Saudi Arabia. At a meeting he hosted with Sheikh Tamin bin Hamad al Thani, <laughs> yeah, the Emir of Gutter, at the White House in February of 2015, Obama said, Gutter is a strong partner in our coalition to degrade and ultimately defeat ISIS. What a bunch of crap. What a load of bunk. Obama is lying. Hillary is lying, and they're laughing at you. So these emails that WikiLeaks uncovered, for better or for worse, exposes the fact that Hillary Clinton, the foundation, the Clinton Foundation, and while she was Secretary of State, funded ISIS, provided material support to ISIS, provided money to ISIS. What, folks, to to the Democratic, to the mind-numb, popsicle-sucking the Democratic National Socialist following idiots out there. What don't you understand about a secretary of state that is seditiously and, and with treason and malice funding the people that are cutting the, the heads off of Christians in the Middle East? Well, see, Yet, I think they support that kind of stuff. Well, so. of course. And, but, but wait a second. No, no. We got to make an issue about, about Donald Trump, about his oogling or his, uh, locker room talk or whatever it might be. It's a diversion to get it off of the content. We, the United States, funding ISIS and killing Christians. We're going to be right back. Stay right where you're at. to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're going to continue hitting news this segment, followed by economist Joseph Meyer uh, coming up in hour two. His website is straightmoneyanalyst.com. I want to uh, touch on a couple numbers. Um, the This is from July of 2016, but this goes over a few of the uh, numbers that have been going, things that have been going on with our economy as far as jobs, food stamps, and whatnot. Um, according to factcheckers, factchecker.org, the economy has added more than 10 million jobs, they say, um, since Barack Obama took office. 
They also say the buying power of the average worker's weekly paycheck is up 4.4%. Uh, but some of the numbers that look uh, on the downside here, you have a drop of 53% of immigrants trying to who are who have been caught trying to illegally enter the United States. So more than 50% drop, uh, and it's not due to less people coming in. That is due to the amnesty and immigration policies of the president. The federal debt has more than doubled, and annual deficits are on the rise again. Homeownership is down by four percentage points, and oil imports are down 53%. Now, uh, this one is interesting. The number of Americans on food stamps since Obama took office is up 36%. There we go. Hey. And new WikiLeaks emails on Hillary Clinton's paid speeches. Hillary told roomful of businessmen that more food stamps will fix the economy. Uh, she urged that expanding the food stamps and other safety net programs is essential to fuel economic growth. At a speech to General Electric executives, according to an excerpt from the transcript made public by WikiLeaks. Economic growth will take off when people in the middle feel more secure again and start spending again, Clinton said in her speech. And she goes on to say that, um, as this is part of 80 pages of transcripts from private business uh, and events that her campaign flagged as potentially damaging if released, the file compiled by campaign research was attached to one of the leaked emails from John Podesta, and Clinton made remarks while the Republican-controlled House of Representatives was debating reducing funding for the SNAP program in 2014. Uh, so what she's saying is giving people income assistance like food stamps will help the economy because families on food stamps will have more money to spend. We need to get back to Henry Ford paying his workers a high wage because he wanted people to buy his cars, Clinton told the group. Um, and she goes on to cite other uh Statistics, but more than 43 million Americans currently receive food stamps, and the government will pay about $45 billion in benefits per year, according to the U.S. Department of Agricultural Data. So if um, what we see with the Hillary Clinton pre- presidency is an increase in this, and uh, she wants to continue adding people on food stamps, and it is, uh, I mean, we already have, what, 93 million Americans receiving some form of assistance that's over or about one third, close to one this third. To create, obviously, to create the dependency mm-hmm. because they cannot, they, the globalists, cannot take over our country without creating that dependency. So, and, and there's a tipping point, of course. Cloward Piven, you study study the Cloward Piven strategy, which is overwhelming the system. This is exactly what the and, and folks, again, you, you popsicle looking, mind numb uh, people out there who believe in the mainstream media uh, bla, uh, blubber and blabber. This is what you're going to expect or come to expect. Uh, this more, more of that, more of those numbers. The numbers are going to increase. It's going to overwhelm the system, and that's of course the social dystopia, meaning a social utopia, a socialist utopia, which is nothing more than the dystopian existence of, of the United States. Um, you, you were talking about numbers, and I want to get back to the Saudi Arabia because I do have some numbers here. But before I do, folks, I want to give you some numbers. Kevin Ship was a, a, a he was a CIA analyst and uh, officer. Uh, wrote a book from the Company of Shadows. In fact, we we got the uh, we when he first when he first wrote that book, we were the first radio interview that he did. And of course, there was a code within that book. Some of the longtime listeners will remember that. Uh, 
that interview uh, to, to circumvent the CIA censors, uh, uh, and it's really interesting. But uh, this coming a little bit from uh, uh, Kevin Ship's some of this information coming from Kevin Ship in a recent talk he gave, but. This coming, these numbers. I assembled these numbers specifically for this uh, program tonight. Listen to this. All right. We talk about the shadow government. We talk about the the deep government, the deep state government, the shadow government. We talk about the Luciferian global elite. Well, who are they? And, and what is that? Really, what is that? Is is it just tinfoil hat conspiracy crap nonsense? Right? Is that is that what it is? Well, listen to this. As of today, right now. There are 1,271 government agencies involved in um, secret programs. All right, 1,271 government agencies involved in black ops programs. Let that sink in for a second. 1,271 government agencies involved in black ops programs. Didn't even know we had that many government agencies. It's phenomenal, isn't it? I mean, mind-blowing. 1,931 private companies involved in the same. All right? Nearly 2,000 private companies have been enlisted and are involved in black op, black operations or off-the-book operations. And these are NGOs. These are, these are companies that, that are under the, uh, secrecy clause circumventing, essentially, the Constitution. Inside the United States, and this might blow your mind, there are 10,000 secret intelligence locations inside the United States. When I say secret intelligence locations, they could be think tanks, they could be operational bases, whatever they might be, but 10,000 located in the United States. And may I remind everyone, and when we're dealing with this, and especially with the CIA, the CIA, their mandate, their um, charter is non-domestic. What are we doing with 10,000 locations here in the United States? And think about that number. That's a lot of uh, secret intelligence locations. How about this? A number of Americans holding, and I'll ask, I'm going to toss this question out to you, Joe. Uh, how many Americans do you think? And, and uh, if you're off, I'm not going to, you know, I mean, because I, I, I had no clue. But how many people do you think, how many Americans do you think hold a security clearance uh, issued by the government? Uh, how many Americans are bound by the secrecy agreement uh, holds uh, security, uh, secret uh, clearance, uh, you know, secret designation security clearances in the United States? How many people? I'd say 2 million, maybe. It's closer to five, four point eight million that we know of. All right. And we have all the um, uh, private contracting companies now working with military institutions and intelligence agencies. So, yeah, that's probably what led to a, a somewhat of an increase uh, in that number. Well, I, I kind of out of the four point eight million, uh, how many hold top secret security clearances? And, and there are obviously clearances well above that, but. Uh, there's 854,000 right now, give or take, that currently hold top secret security clearances for the U.S. government. You, th- you think we're, we're a little bit top heavy on the secrecy here? You talk about the, uh, uh you know, JFK's speech, uh, secrecy is, is morally repugnant. Well, here it is. And 
I found this extremely interesting. The agencies, some of the agencies involved in, in issuing these security clearances in, involved in black ops and also um, binding their workers, some of their workers and employees and contractors to uh, the giving up their rights under the Constitution to the black ops uh, operations. Include, of course, the CIA, the FBI, NSA, but also included in this the National Weather Service and NOAA. Think about that. Mm-hmm. All right, that goes back to Dane Wigington and, and the geoengineering. His geoengineering uh, watch. Yeah, over. yeah. So you, you've got to know that there is there's something going on. I'm I'm, I'm headed there. There's a place I'm going with this, and and I really I've hinted at this before. I've made some statements before but I really want to uh drive this home now. Now you get the scope of of this. Uh, the CIA has got something called InQtel. I don't know how many people are familiar with that. You're familiar with that, mm-hmm. Joe, InQtel. Well, InQtel is is a um a basket I suppose of uh, I don't even know how would, how would you describe InQtel? I, I guess they recruit Companies. It could be as large as Google, for example, or or as small as some mom and pop operation. But InQtel uh, collects the businesses and 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 they they co-opt them, and they they work for this essentially work for the CIA. All right. In this post-constitutional government that in which we live today. Now, here's why I bring this up because concurrent with the email releases. And I think some people might, uh, the Podesta email release, and this is one thing that, that may surprise many people because, um, th- th- there is a website, it's a, it's a known conservative website based in the UK. This according to the Podesta email release, Heat Street, uh, founder. Do you know of the Heat Street? Heat Street yeah, that's website? been a, a website that's, have seen a huge rise in traffic during this election cycle. Right. And it's supposedly a conservative, UK-based conservative. All right. Well, one thing, if you look I've at... I wondered the, where that just popped up from. Well, okay. But the Podesta emails of here lately um, <laughs> revealed that the, the Heat Street founder, conservative-based Heat Street uh, UK website, founder Louis, Louise Menchie, is an advisor for the Hillary Clinton campaign. Is close to Hillary Clinton. Now, folks, again, think about this and think about what I've, I've been saying here for the last couple of uh, uh, several weeks and months, maybe, about the infiltration and about how people on our side have been co-opted. And what you think you know to be true is not true at all. Now, I'm not saying this. The Podesta emails revealed that the Heat Street founder, this conservative, UK-based conservative website, Louise Menchie, is working for Hillary Clinton, the campaign. This according to the Podesta email uh, disclosure. I will I will say this this is not confirmed but this is based on my investigation I personally believe it's my professional opinion that the 
all of the anti-Trump material that has been released has been released by Paul Ryan and the GOP establishment that includes the Bush family and that includes the current Republican senators and congressmen. Now think about that. The reason I mentioned, I'm going to go back one step, and the reason I mentioned about Heat Street is because, of course, Louise Menchie is an author of books that uh, are supposedly, and an author of articles that supposedly take Hillary Clinton to task. But on the flip side of that, you've got this supposedly conservative, allegedly conservative person that's working for Hillary Clinton. But you wouldn't know it because she is coming out and writing articles to the contrary. We see this here directed at the alternative news media, and this is extremely important. What we're seeing take place right now against Hagman and Hagman Report, against myself personally, and others, including people like Dave Hodges, Alex Jones, Rick Wiles, Steve Quayle, we have the same problem, or we are experiencing the same blowback here. You would think, okay, you, you may come across on the Internet people saying, oh, well, they're really, the, the, the big thing is they're um, not Christians. They're, they're, they're bad Christians. Oh, they're just, uh, they're, they're fear porn people. They're whatever this or that. And you look at who's lobbying the accusations, and, and it would appear that they could be legitimate Christians or legitimate conservatives having legitimate complaints. Well, the very playbook that I just gave you, the fact that, that the Podesta emails ripped open, laid laid out that Louise Menchie, as the founder of Heat Street website, is, is actually working on behalf of Hillary Clinton is the exact, and I mean the exact, architecture behind the attacks that we face. So, the reason I brought this up is all of us in the alternative media, which has now been branded alt-right folks, we are now um, on the hot list, the short list, for censorship, which is a good thing in my view because now we've, I don't want to say we've made it to the big leagues, but we're making a difference because you're not going to get fired at unless you're over the target. So I think we are accomplishing our mission of information and sharing information analysis. But we are fighting this leviathan, as I, as I mentioned before, we're fighting this leviathan of black operations of 1,271 government agencies involved in these secret black ops and 1,931 private corporations and over 10,000 secret intelligence locations located here in the United States and 4.8 million people in this country holding security clearances, many of whom are involved in the black ops and the 854,000 plus holding top security clearances and the and think of the money that it takes to fund these black ops operations that are in you know those staggering numbers that you just mentioned 
And we see the uh, banks that pay these fines every year for laundering hundreds of billions of dollars in drug money to the increase in uh, the opium production that has come out of Afghanistan that continues to, to grow in Afghanistan directly related to the U.S. intelligence agencies. Um, it's mind-blowing to think of the money that's wasted on these operations and how many of these operations and black ops uh, teams and, and uh, operations are to do something that furthers America's interests in a positive way. I don't think any of them, uh, you know, not too many of them do. What they are doing is subverting nations and organizations, overthrowing governments, uh, carrying out assassinations, trying to influence politics from the shadows, and doing so while uh, partnering up with private companies in a way that, you know, after this next election, when you talk about the censorship and the, the flack that we're catching now, could result in much more drastic measures being taken by a uh, a fascist-type government that we're looking at. If Hillary Clinton gets elected, I mean, you look at the the media uh, love affair they have with Clinton, where they are literally giving her cover in this presidential election, giving her protection, and completely slandering the enemy, all in the hopes that when she becomes president, they will get access and favors and continue, you know, the money gravy trains and, and relationships, backdoor deals that go on that uh, really have destroyed our, our governmental system uh, over the years. That's just going to continue to increase the pay-to-play scandals, um, the private access, you know, favors for uh, favors. That's what we're seeing. And the only way to break the cycle is to make sure she doesn't get elected. Um that's our only hope, really, and then we don't even know what that will look like. But the I, I just wonder how much an annual budget for black operations, what that looks like. Um, it has to be just mind They don't know. See, and, and, and um, that's interesting you brought that up because it's it's been admitted that no one knows. All right, now you have the Electronic Stabilization Fund, which is the conduit for uh, funding the black ops but still no one knows congress doesn't even know and no one knows it's that out of control you might say well somebody does know well perhaps they've got a ballpark figure but when you've got when you're talking those numbers as i gave and those joining us late i mean folks the numbers uh that that consist of that comprise the shadow government and i'm just going to hit them one more time um bear with me for those who have heard this before but for those joining us late uh, you've got within the shadow government. You've got 1,271 government agencies involved in secret block operations. You've got 1,931 private corporations that are involved in the same. You've got over 10,000 sites located inside the United States that are intelligence locations that are operational intelligence locations, contrary to the mandate or the charter of the CIA, which is non-domestic. You've got 4.8 million, almost 5 million people holding, Americans holding security clearances, uh, bound by the secrecy agreement. And, and Kevin Shipp had uh, given a, a recent uh, uh, expose at one of the, it was Geoengineering Watch, I believe, uh, at, at a conference, and, and 
there was this question, why aren't whistleblowers, why aren't there more whistleblowers coming forward? Because the the apparatus will destroy, not just destroy you, not just destroy you professionally, but you sign that piece of paper. And trust me when I tell you this, when you, when you, when you do operational work as an operational or informational asset for the CIA and you sign that piece of paper, that's, that's dedicated or it's specific to the job that you're doing for that agency. Trust me when I tell you, you, you are signing over every single right. You've got no constitutional rights. You sign that, you sign on that line, they own you. The CIA owns you. Not only do they own you, they own your family. They own every breath you take. They could, it, it, it's, it's hideous. And, but you do so willingly out of the feeling of patriotism, obviously. You think you're helping, and think back, you know, to after 9-11, you want to help, right? And, and you believe the lie. Some believe the lie. I believe the lie, so you want to help. So you sign the, on the dotted line to, to be an, an operational asset, for example, for, I don't know, for a government agency. I'm just speaking hypothetically here. But, but when you sign that piece of paper, you ain't got no more rights. None. And your family doesn't either. So they could dose, uh, you know, dose you with Agent Orange or LSD or, uh, you know, whatever it might be, Agent Orange. What am I thinking? Saren, I don't know, whatever. And, and you know, uh, cause you to grow out two heads or whatever. Uh, too bad for you. There's nothing you can do. And, and if you break that secrecy agreement, not only will they disappear you, their fa- your family, but uh, generations to come, they'll wipe you out. It's not, it's, so, so those people who are, are, yes, well, where are the whistleblowers? It's not just losing your job, no, or it's not being, you know, threat, the threat of jail, no. I mean, this is the threat of extermination, and trust me when I tell you, it's that severe. So, you've got the occasional Snowden, or the uh, which he's hiding for a reason, or, or avoiding a, uh, avoiding a, uh, coming back for a reason, obviously. Um. So all of that, but but I just I, I so it's very interesting, and I, I would caution everyone because there's been uh, uh, so many uh, so many articles written about Clinton, for example, and uh, this began a couple of years ago. Where, I mean, whether it's related to the to Whitewater or related to uh, um, uh, whatever it might be related to Vince Foster, okay, total bunk, total bunk. So you've got to be careful what you, what you believe because oh, there, there are morsels of truth in there, but it diverts from the truth. And that's probably the worst, in my view, the, the worst possible. Um, when, when you're, when you're, when you are told a lie and, and there's elements of truth in that lie and you believe it to be true, but it's, it's meant to divert you from the truth. That's how most lies oh, are, are effective with, with yeah. truth in them. Uh, whether it's, you know, 25% truth or 95% truth, I think the, the most effective lies are the ones with the most truth in them. Yeah, and, and then you find out, for example, that, oh man, well these, I thought this was, for example, I thought this author was, or, or this, this web, web writer or this journalist was, uh, you know, uh, working for the conservative Christian cause. No, they're not. No, no. not even close. And a lot of conservatives or so-called conservatives and Republicans are pushing for Hillary Clinton in order to keep their own corruption 
going, their own yeah, um, yeah, exactly. You know, ways of of gaming the system for for money and power uh, to continue. And it's a lot of these establishment, you know, what you call hardline Republicans, like Lindsey Graham, John McCain. There you go. The Bushes. Yes. Even the uh, that Donald Trump uh, lewd comment video that released. I'm that was a that nephew was. or a grandson of, of George H.W. Bush right. who was on tape with them. And you have to wonder how long they had that, that tape for. And I was listening to an episode of Rick Wiles where he was quoting um, a minister who believed that the Republican Party, and he said this was yeah, responsible I, for I, the I leaks believe of that, that to be the truth. And, uh, that tape. <laughs> talking with Rick a, Wiles. A yeah. strategic yeah. leak release. And just like these other, you know, women accusers, I, I understand one of them is the secretary for the Clinton Foundation. Yes. And the yes. other one has been called out by a family friend as being a liar and who gave an interview in 2003 to the People again. magazine. Um, and that never came up. They never talked about that. They talked about Trump in the People magazine interview, but she never made reference to the, to the, um, alleged groping or kissing or whatever it was. But the, uh, say it again. The one Trump accuser is or was a secretary at the Clinton Foundation. There you go. You, you see the incestuous nature of this. And the timing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you, you don't say anything for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, but two, three weeks before the presidential election that Donald Trump's involved in, all of a sudden people are coming out of the woodwork. And I hope he's smart enough and is you know, sincere enough that he does sue Hillary Clinton because there is coordination shown in the Podesta emails that they not only... We're going to push this narrative of uh, Donald Trump being sexist, but that they were going to actually try to uh, make up a narrative of their own by planning false evidence and then pushing the fact that uh, Donald Trump—they're they're trying to create a, a false Craigslist ad that are searching for hot women and then turn around and say, you know, look what Trump is doing. It's going to be exponentially worse than that, Joe, because it's going to be more nefarious. And and you can, but Joe and I, we are on the case. We have all. We even have Epstein's black book downloaded, mm-hmm. ninety-two pages. That came out a few years ago. Yeah, I folks, know. listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report, we'll too. be right back with economist Joseph Meyer after this. Stay with us. Ladies and gentlemen, to the Hagman and Hagman Report, coming to you live from our radio and television studios here in beautiful Northwest Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for for joining us. Thank you for your belief and trust in us. Thank you for helping us grow. Thank you for uh, for supporting our endeavors. We are working night and day, and, and I'm serious about this. We're working night and day to expand, to bring people the truth of about what's really going on out there, without the hype, without the hyperbole, without the nonsense. We're bringing people. Uh, we're also doing it, uh, uh, we're, we're also, um, doing it from a Christian biblical perspective because that is the foundation. That's what's important. You know, we're not, we're not to be given to a, succumb to a spirit of fear. That's not biblical. And, and so information and, and application of that information, it certainly, um, allays in, in your faith, allays that a spirit of fear. And, and we get accused of that uh, so many times when, when in fact it's uh, 
It's just the opposite. You know, it's you need to know what's going on for the most part to really understand what you can do to to to, to fight against it. Our next guest, of course, is a, a man I respect. I've actually followed this man, his work for for some time. Joseph Meyer, he's the president of Meyer and Associates. He is what I I'm just gonna call him the money man. Okay, um, money news, uh, economic news, the straight. MoneyAnalysis.com is his website. That's StraightMoneyAnalysis.com is his website. Joseph Meyer, StraightMoneyAnalysis.com. He's a, uh, this man is a learned man. He's, he knows what's going on in the economic venue. I have a lot of respect for his information. I have a lot of respect for his output, his analysis. And he's a guy that I would, uh, I would listen to. When it comes to well, what's going on in the world? Okay, he doesn't have to. He doesn't hide behind any uh, uh, any pseudonym. He doesn't. He doesn't have to. You know, uh, I mean, he's out there. He knows, and he's got the experience, and he's got the uh, uh, he's got the uh, he's got the track record. So this man, uh, listen carefully what he's got to say during during the, this program. And I, I want to mention before we bring him on too. Uh, when I opened the program, I, I was citing a, uh, a, a letter we got in the mail from Diane R. I don't have permission to use her name, so I'm not going to do it. Uh, just a wonderful, wonderful listener to the program and wrote her just, just a tremendous letter about the program. I'm not going to, again, I don't have permission to, to really talk about this, but, uh, but the information in the, uh, uh, the information she provided is, is just great, but I also want to direct you to, and I, and I believe this to be the case, I believe this to be her uh, website, it's sunflowerstudios.us.com. She sent us some beautiful uh, pictorial uh, cards, photograph cards, uh, just wonderful, of, of sunsets and storms, and uh, I trust that she had taken these pictures or otherwise owns these pictures, but uh, just some beautiful photographs, and uh, thank you. We're going to be putting them in our office. Uh, offices and studios, but uh, uh, we're the reason I, I mentioned this as well this hour is to let people know that we're going to be uh, picking out letters at, at, at random and uh, or not so random, I should say, and conveying to you what our listeners and viewers are, are telling us and giving us the information from our listeners and viewers uh, on the intelligence side, particularly because it's if it's information that we could vet, verify, authenticate give to you, pass along to you, that's important, as well as emails as well. So thank you so much for that and, and others who have sent in. Joe, I'm going to give We're it gonna to you. We're going to bring on our guest, Joseph Meyer. He is the president of Meyer & Associates. Uh, he has been in the U.S. financial industry for more than five decades and has been a uh, guest on several national television and radio programs um, talking about the economy uh, both globally and domestically. Mr. Meyer, it's great to have you on the Hagman and Hagman Report. Good evening, Doug. Good evening, Joe. Thank you and the Hagman Report for having me as your guest this evening. An extreme pleasure to visit with you and your listening audience. Thank you so much. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you, sir. Your, uh, your, rep- your reputation precedes you, as they say. Um, you're, you're well known in, in investment and money circles, and you know what's going on. Uh, so let me ask you, what in the world's going on, Mr. Meyer? <laughs> we well, got a lot I of think, stuff going yeah. on. <laughs> 
I think, honestly, all the economies of the, of the world are contracting and contracting now very rapidly. And I think we're on the cusp of a pretty nasty economic downturn and a pretty prolonged and very deep uh, recession here in the U.S. Mm. Well, I, I, I can't, I can't say I didn't see that one coming. Um, yeah, uh, in, indeed, I think we are. Uh, uh, okay, <laughs> okay, <laughs> but, but specifically here. Uh, here we are, you know, less than a month away from our elections. Um, where do we stand? I mean, are, are we looking at a total collapse, global collapse? Or are we looking at a uh, uh, domestic collapse primarily? I, I guess that, that, that's my first question out of the gate, and I'm going to let you kind of take it where you want to take it. I think the answer to that, Doug, quite frankly, is we're looking at both of the things you just mentioned. I think we're looking at a very serious economic decline globally. I think it's going to spill over domestically here in the U.S., and I think the surprise, as I've said many times, is not only how fast the U.S. equity markets go down, but how far they fall before this uh, onset of this bear market is complete. Uh, Mr. Meyer, if we could, um, obviously we everybody knows the, that we're in this election cycle, and I've yes. seen lots of, of uh, speculation and, and reports from inside uh, people inside financial institutions uh, economists and people who pay attention to politics uh, is there any indication and i've heard this a lot and this would probably be more speculation on your part but have you heard um about a potential you know if donald trump gets elected obviously it appears as though the establishment this is the last thing they want to see happen i've seen many people talk about a a controlled or uh, a manufactured economic crash if he is elected do the people, uh, is there enough control of the economy to where people can decide that they want to uh, have a crash and, and uh, are they able to manipulate the markets so that would happen? Well, I think, Joe, first of all, you have to put things in perspective. People lose sight of the fact that this rally, as you know, started in March 2009 at Dow 6470 and S&P 670. So we have had, over the last seven and a half years, a tremendous rally in the equity markets. The markets are now very, very overvalued. We've not had a full 20% correction all through this advance. And quite honestly, I think we've seen the highs in the Dow and the S&P, and I think this is a time for caution, a time to raise some cash and get very defensive, as I think this market is getting ready to fall and fall very, very dramatically. You know, you said something here, and I want to ask, at the risk of sounding really ignorant, okay, um, you know, I, I hear people saying, well, I'm going to just have a bundle of cash. You just mentioned, you know, uh, cash. I'm going to have a bundle of cash, whether it's in a safe, safe deposit box, or just cash on hand. I don't know, five, ten, whatever they can afford, uh, five, ten grand. Uh, with the economy the way it is, isn't that going to be kind of counterproductive and worthless, or is it good to have like a fistful or you know a cash if you if you can afford it uh, tucked away somewhere? Well, I think it's an investment posture in a position in the market to always have, as I'm sure you'll agree, Doug, adequate cash reserves. You know, people utilize leverage in these markets. They take risk far beyond what they truly understand that the risk represents. 
and people want to believe that every decline that we've had will lead to the market turning around and, and rallying to even higher expectations. I don't think anyone is really prepared for the inevitable that I think is ahead of us, and I think now is the time to prepare and prepare accordingly. I believe everyone's situation, again, I'm sure you agree, is somewhat different. So what may be right for one person may not be exactly what someone else should be doing. But I do think this is a time to reduce your risk, reduce your exposure, reduce uh, certainly your leverage in the market, take some profits out of the market, raise some adequate cash reserves, and prepare for much lower prices. Much lower prices? Yes. Okay, all right. So are we we talking deflation? Um, Based on what you just said, when when you say lower prices, or do you mean lower... Go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll let you answer that question. Well, let me outline two areas that I think realistically, Doug, we could see in this bear market that, again, I believe is unfolding. I think the first stop could be we would fall down to the 2007 highs in the Dow around 14,100. And if we didn't uh, stem the decline at those levels, we would go down then to 11,780. So I think at a minimum, this market could lose one-third to half its value over the next two-and-a-half to three-and-a-half years. That's the way I see it. Okay. All right. Well, how, how, okay. I, I, I'll say this, too, and, and I'll kind of preface my question. Well, this is a question, I guess. I was talking with someone today, um, and I and I explained to him that we, you were going to be our guest tonight. And uh, I said, do you have any questions? You know, if you had the ability to ask uh, Mr. Meyer questions, uh, what would you ask him? And, and he said, if you, if you were calling, a, if you called a family meeting, a meeting of your family, given everything that you know, politically, okay. monetarily, I mean, you know, can consider the, the political landscape as it, as it stands today and, and the economic landscape. Uh, if you were to call a family meeting of the people that you love and you care about, you know, what would you advise them to do? And that's that's coming from uh, uh, my buddy Jack, okay? And, and that's his question, and I promised him I'd ask you that question because a lot of people are, are kind of floating aimlessly out there and not really knowing what to do. They know problems are coming. They know we're, we, they know that we're being lied to at every turn. Yes, but we really, are. you know, but, but, but there's there's this... This frenziness out there, this frenzy that what do we do uh, to protect ourselves? And I know you touched on you know how to protect ourselves a little bit, but what would you tell your family if you called a family meeting, given everything you know right now? Uh, well, I'd say number one, Doug, we don't want to be in the equity markets because, quite frankly, I think the upside is limited and the downside is great. I think if we enter the recession, and I believe that's on the horizon, you know, typically recession since World War II, and I know you're aware of this, they lasted on balance about nine months. The two longest recessions we had were 1973, 4, and 81-82. They lasted about 16 months. But I think when we take a look at the extended uh, economic uh, recovery we've had, which is purportedly an economic recovery, I, I deem it an economic illusion. I think the next downturn could last multi years. I truly believe that. And that that 
that that will destroy families, that will destroy wealth, that will destroy uh, inheritances, everything. Oh my God! Well, I think we're going to witness, and again, we've already seen a great deal of this: the finality of the greatest transfer of wealth in history. You know, we had a great transfer of wealth in in the crash of 1929, all through the depression of the 1930s. And at the end of the day, we had 1% of the population control 59% of the wealth of America. Right now, and we've not really even started this bear market end or this economic downturn to any significance, we currently have uh, 1% of the population uh, controlling over 50% of the wealth. So this is going to be a generational bear market, it's going to be a devastating bear market, and it's going to wipe out the equity of many Americans before it's truly over and done. Mm. All right. What have you learned, and I'm, I'm kind of shotgunning questions here, and if you want to, uh, you know, if you want to take it, uh, if you want to go in a different direction, you're free to do so. Uh, or rein me, rein me in a little bit uh, with my questions, but let me ask you this. Um, um uh, with with all of the information that has come out about uh um well let, let me let me give you a different question i'm sorry i was thinking about something different but i guess to preface everything gold and silver precious metals i'm getting been getting a lot of a lot of people who own gold and silver who are very anxious about uh, my goodness, you know, they're holding the prices down. They're, they're, uh, uh, you know, I, I bought, I bought silver when it was $40 an ounce. Now look at it and is it ever going to rise? And, and, uh, did, did I get, did I get snookered, you know, into buying, uh, gold and silver and should I sell? A lot of people asking us questions about precious metals. Uh, what, what are your feelings on precious metals? And you know, I still believe, go? Doug, we're in the early stages of a once-in-a-lifetime commodity bull market in the precious metals. What we're witnessing is only the sixth time in history that we've seen a supercycle commodity bull market. I'd like to name the other prior five commodity bull markets for your listening audience to put things in perspective. You'd have the War of 1812, the Civil War, World War One, World War Two, Korea, the Cold War, and now the sixth time, Doug, in 200 years, the ongoing war on terror. Typically, commodity bulls, and I know you're aware of this fact, they last anywhere from 18 to 20 years. This commodity bull started in 2001, and I believe it will last until 2021, 2022. But ironically, if you go back and you study markets and you study history, 80% of a move takes place in the last 20% of the market. So what I'm saying is although we've had a tremendous move in gold and a tremendous move in silver from the 2001 lows, the greatest percentage moves in the market are not behind us, they're still in front of us. And I think people that bought gold and silver at significantly higher prices than they're currently trading have nothing to fear. I think before this bull market is complete, we'll see gold at several thousand dollars an ounce and silver at uh, a couple hundred. Do we do we want to live in a world where, where gold is at, the, at those levels? I mean, what will... What would do we have a choice? Oh... Good comeback. Do we? <laughs> well, you know, again, put things in perspective. One ounce of gold has bought the Dow twice in history. It bought it in 1932 and it bought it again in 1980. 
I believe in the rule of threes, and I believe one ounce of gold will once again buy the Dow. The question, Doug, is at what level? I believe that level is between somewhere in the vicinity of seven to ten thousand dollars an ounce, because I think the Dow can trade down between seven and ten thousand before this uh, equity bear market's complete. Okay. All right. Well, wow. If I was speaking to a family member or a family gathering, what would I stress? I would stress three things. We want preservation of our capital. We want number two, liquidity, and number three, safety. And if we follow those three mandates, I think we're going to come out of this economic downturn and it's very vicious bear market uh, pretty much intact. Okay. So so let's take them one at a time, preservation. (laughs) Uh, the, the, pro- the pr- preservation part. Uh, how do you set yourself up for preservation? And, and folks, we're not asking. And, and I'll make a disclaimer: this is not financial advice, of course. No, it isn't. Uh, you know, so so just take it for what it's worth. This is a discussion that we're having, so no one, you know, uh, the standard disclaimers apply. So, so uh, measures to me- measures for preservation. Uh, how do you do that? Well, you want to protect your capital at all costs from any market fluctuations, any surprises that can certainly come into a market in which you're invested and eroded. Mm -hmm. And I think the way to do that is to get out of stocks and bonds and certainly sell real estate if you can and move into uh, money market securities where you can stay liquid and you can stay safe until the smoke clears and we can see exactly where we are headed and more importantly when we believe we can and will get there, Doug. It's interesting you you said that. You're the second person in two days that, if I'm hearing this correctly, sell your real estate. Is that what you're saying? If you own real estate, let's say rental or income properties, are you, are you suggesting maybe that perhaps, uh, depending on the situation, you, know, you might want to get rid of that? Well, I think we're going to see higher interest rates. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when, and I think real estate is still on balance very overvalued. I think when we take a look at what had led up to the crisis we've witnessed in real estate, as you know, many years ago, uh, housing used to go up by the price of inflation 2, 3, 4% a year. Mm-hmm. When we started witnessing housing going up by 20% a year compounded for five years, it was a bubble that had to pop, and I think that bubble has not really deflated to the point where real estate would once again represent uh, good intrinsic value. I think housing on balance, and I'm sure you'll agree, is is still overvalued in relation to the wages and the jobs we're creating. Homes are simply unaffordable for the average American, and I think they have to fall under their own weight. And I think it's going to become a, a, a buyer's market at some point when these houses start to go down and fall quite dramatically, Doug. Again, that's the way I see it. Yeah, uh, and, and I, I have to, I, just what I see locally, I mean, in my own community with the uh, cost of housing, um, You can still rent for half the cost of owning. You know, where is the benefit in owning a home if it can't appreciate? You know, getting back again to the old days, a house used to be where you lived and you raised your family. When the mindset changed in the market and the house became an investment like your stocks and bonds and it was supposed to make you rich, that's when we got in trouble with housing. Hmm. It's always that that level of greed in there, too, you know. Yes, Um, it is. 
Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, th- th- that's interesting. And liquidity is is rather self explanatory, I suppose. Uh, you know, it, uh, make sure you've got. We'll get out of debt and make sure you've got uh, sufficient uh, funds, obviously, for for emergencies and for whatever else you might need. Right? I mean, that's very important. Okay. All right. And, and then safety. What did you mean by that? Uh, well, you want to eliminate all the risk that you can certainly understand, and you can certainly, you know, be able to evaluate that you're being part of for whatever reason. You have to put in perspective, the markets will always offer opportunity, but they'll always offer risk as well. And you have to be able to understand and determine what is the tolerance of risk I'm willing to undertake in a market over what given and specific period of time. There's a time to be in the markets and there's a time to be out of them. And quite frankly, I'll say it one more time, this is not a time to be in the stock and bond markets. Uh, It's one uh, man's humble opinion, but that's my belief. I've been in these markets 50 years. Yeah, started investing in 1966. I was 19 years old. Went up on Wall Street in 1972. I was 25, and I've been in these markets in one capacity or another ever since. Man, so I've seen bull and bear seen. markets. I've seen economic expansions, economic contractions, and I have to tell you quite honestly, I think we're in unprecedented historic times, and I think history is going to be written. And we're going to live long enough to to certainly have lived and been part of a history that's going to unfold before our eyes. Man, you know, I, I just I marvel at, at at the history that you have personally witnessed and, and in fact been involved in in the five decades, the fifty years of trade. Well, I write uh, from the perspective of having lived the times in which I write about. You know, we were there in the fifties and sixties and seventies and. We saw the good times and the difficult times as well. We saw a lot of money made, a lot of money lost, and we learned through the decades what worked and worked consistently and, quite honestly, what did not. So we learned from our mistakes, and we certainly uh, were cognizant of the things we did right and the importance of doing them over and over. And I write from the perspective the parallels of history, the similarities, the differences, and I outline what I think truly matters, what we can and should be doing about it, and I give you the insight to be be able to maneuver the difficulties and the uncertainties that these markets represent. That's what I do when I write straight money analysis. I'm writing it now seven years. Yeah, and, and we've got about two minutes before the uh, before the break here at the bottom of the hour. So, you do have a newsletter. I, I want to give you the opportunity to tell people about your newsletter. I think it's a fabulous tool. It's monthly. Uh, tell people about that, please, if you don't mind. Well, I write straight money analysis. It's now a quarterly newsletter, and the next issue will be my December twenty sixteen. One year subscription is two fifty nine ninety five. Six month subscription, Doug, is one forty nine ninety five. Anyone becomes a subscriber to the newsletter, we're going to give you the March, June, and September twenty sixteen issue, and we're going to start your full one year subscription from the December twenty sixteen issue. And all you have to do, if you want to do uh, a subscription to the newsletters, go to Straight Money Analysis. We got a secure PayPal terminal. Sign up for the newsletter. 
Make sure you uh, put your email that you want the newsletter transmitted to. Send me the order, and as soon as we receive it, we'll send you the back issues of the newsletter. And if you need to speak with me, we're always here to take a call from a subscriber or answer any questions. Our phone number is on the website. And if you email me, I personally answer all emails, and we'd be glad to assist you in any way we can. You know, that's one thing about your newsletter that, uh, to me, separates you from other uh, entities. Like, you know, uh, you're available, and you're, the information that's contained in the in the newsletter um, just is unsurpassed, in my view. And, and your insight from a historical perspective into the current situation really puts things in context and, and i and i appreciate that so uh that's uh, folks that's straight money analysis dot com straight money analysis dot com for the quarterly newsletter uh by the same name straight money analysis joseph yeah, myers is our guest the subtitle newsletter right yep. there um uh, right to the right of upcoming media appearances to the left of testimonials and you can sign up for the the newsletter and uh you can use um a bunch of different options for payment and um sign up smartmoneyanalysis.com we are talking with Joseph Meyer on domestic and international news and economic issues when we come back we're going to uh talk about individual um banks international banks deutsche bank china and what these economic futures look like in the international realm and how they can affect us here in the usa as well as uh, a couple other things we'll be right back with joseph meyer right after this stay with us HagmanReport.com, that's our website. HagmanReport.com, bookmark the website. HagmanAndHagman.com as well. That's for all of the show venues from Global Star Radio Network to Blog Talk Radio to um, YouTube Live. There you go. And, of course, HagmanReport.com for all the show prep news information that's important on a daily basis. HagmanReport.com. Follow us as well on our social networking sites. Uh, there we uh, share insights as well. Jackie's coming on on board. Uh, uh, my daughter, she's going to be handling the social networking. Uh, she's just a marvel at that. I just I marvel at her abilities with that. Um, so we're just so excited to have her part of this. Uh, Hagman Report on Facebook and at Hagman Report on Twitter. And of course we've got Instagram and I think... Uh, uh, some uh, uh, some other things, right? I don't know, Eric. You're you're mic'd up. You know, yeah. He's just saying, oh yeah, we do. Anyway, our guest is uh, Mr. Joseph Meyer, Joe Meyer. Uh, his website, StraightMoneyAnalysis.com. And we again, we want to thank everyone for joining us. You know, this when we talk about the economy, money, and such, it really is a very well to me. It's a minefield, and and I'm not an economist. Um, that's for doggone sure. But I do know when things are not right, when we're being lied to, when we're when the numbers are being uh, fudged. Um, and, and all the investigations I've done ever in my career as an investigator, 
the uh, economic, uh, I mean, you just follow the money. And, and, of course, you know, you follow the money. That's the mantra of investigations, and you, and you can see who the culprits are behind such uh, uh, crimes. And, and, and I view America and the world, at least the bankers and, and, the, and the current situation, the global, global situation, as a crime scene. That's the way I view it. Yeah. Uh, we're going to bring back Mr. Joseph Meyer, and I wanted to get into some questions about um, a few different global markets and the dangers that they pose if things go wrong. We've been hearing a lot of rumblings about two in specific that we mentioned before the break, one being Deutsche Bank and the second being China. Yes. Uh, Mr. Meyer, what is the risks uh, not only to America but to the world if either of these banks uh, were to collapse or to have a crash? Well, I think the biggest risk when we talk about Deutsche Bank would be the risk to the European Union if it were to close its doors. Deutsche Bank is the largest bank in Germany. As you know, they're in deep financial trouble. They've used a tremendous amount of leverage in the market, and that leverage is now starting to unwind, and they're having some liquidity problems. Question is, will the German government through the Bundesbank bail them out, or if there is a bailout, will it come from the IMF itself? But I think when you talk about the banking community in Europe, you've got troubled banks in Portugal, Spain. You certainly have Italy uh, involved as well. So I think it's a problem through all of Europe, and I think if we start to see it unfold, we could see contagion certainly spread uh, through the leading European banks and eventually work its way to the shores of America. I think when you talk about China, they're going through a pronounced economic slowdown. Uh, It's been expected now for quite some time. Chinese banks, as I'm sure you also know, is still sitting on a lot of bad paper from a real estate fiasco that's not worked its way through. China continues to accumulate tremendous amounts of gold, and quite honestly, I think they're holding more gold now than the U.S., and they continue to be very heavy buyers on any weakness we see in the markets. And more importantly, they're holding a couple of trillion dollars in government securities, which at some point I think will be liquidated and money will come out of these markets. And I think that could also be a catalyst which starts the uh, stock and bond markets down in the U.S. and see them fall quite significantly. All right. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, let me. But the biggest uh, risk, Joe and, and Doug, when we talk about what people are doing in the market, do you know that investors in the U.S. have $23 trillion in retirement assets with about $7 trillion in IRAs? $23 trillion and $7 trillion in IRAs? No. $23 trillion total in retirement assets and 401ks and pension plans. With seven trillion of that in IRA accounts, and if we okay. see the economic downturn that I believe is inevitable and is ahead of us, the devastation to these accounts could be very, very dramatic, and it could be so severe that eventually it leads to people never being able to retire. That's the risk I think people could be taking that they don't truly understand and/or realize at this point. You have uh, to protect right. those assets at all costs. So, so uh, for somebody kind of thick-headed like myself, okay, when you talk about, the, l- l- let's say I'm retired, I've got an IRA, 
and I got money in my IRA. Uh, and I, I have a broker. I don't even know, you know. And again, I'm speaking hypothetically here. I don't know where my money is. I just get a statement every month or every quarter. Um, you're telling me that that I could be wiped out, basically. Well, you right? could see the account go down by over fifty percent. I think that's reasonable. We've seen fifty percent declines in the equity market in prior bear markets all through history before. And if this is going to be a generational bear market in the equity market, and I truly believe it's going to be, you're looking at the potential of the account losing 50% of its value before it puts in place a significant bottom. And you can avoid that now by liquidating the account, going into cash equivalency money markets, and waiting till this bear market makes its bottom. Okay. What about, well, that leads me to the question, what about, um, what about the people who depend upon merely Social Security, Social Security only? Who are, uh, who, I mean, what about those people? Well, you know, I've said many times these entitlement programs that people have been led to believe will always be here may not be. You know, going back again historically, and I know you know this fact as well, when Social Security was first formed in the early 1930s, we had seven people paying in for everyone drawing down benefits. The way the system is set up today with the economics behind certainly what we're seeing with, with, with unemployment, we have now only three people paying in for everyone drawing down benefits. Right. What I'm saying is inevitably the mathematics will tell us and lead us to the conclusion eventually the Social Security system will run dry. Again, okay. it's not a question of if, it's a question of when, and it may happen sooner than we would want to believe. So I don't and, think and, anyone can really fall back on, I'll always have my Social Security, you may not. And then what, and I guess the, the question is, and then what happens? You know, when that day comes, what happens then? Are we, are we going to see rise well, in the streets? Well, I think when or? that day comes, Doug, people don't get their welfare checked. They don't get their disability checked. They don't get food stamps. They don't get their Social Security. The system just uh, implodes. All right. We, we, okay, so are we looking at, like, and maybe this is a bad example, but uh, uh, what Venezuela is going through right now with that type of... Uh, a scenario here in the streets of America or something even worse than that? Well, I hope we never see certainly the devastation that they've witnessed in Venezuela, but there's no question we're going to go through some very, very difficult times. When people talk about how bad this can be, in a recent show I did with your good friend Dave Hodges, I told him that I knew someone that lived through the Depression in the 20s and all through the 30s, and they saw the devastation and the difficulty of those times, and I never forgot that gentleman telling me at the height of the Depression in Indianapolis, Indiana, in 1933, you could buy breakfast, bacon and eggs, toast, juice, and coffee for 15 cents. Nobody had the 15 cents. This gentleman was in Indianapolis, and he said to me, the minute somebody got off the stool and didn't finish everything they were eating, there were six people fighting to finish what was left on the plate. That's how bad it was in the 1930s. Wow. Okay. That's and, history. And picture that. Yeah. 
Wow, picture that. I mean, well, you know, another statistic I'll share quickly for you. When the Dow peaked in 1929, in September 1929, at 381 in the Dow, it didn't bottom until 1932. 41 in the Dow was the final low. But more importantly, after that uh, high of 381 was put in place in 1929, we didn't get back above 381 in the Dow till 25 years later, 1954. So what I'm saying is if we've seen the high in the Dow, and very possibly we have already seen that in this 18,500 area, if we start this vicious bear market that I believe is inevitable and is ahead of us, we may not get back above these levels for a quarter of a century. That's how long mm. it could take. I don't think people are prepared and, and willing to, to understand that fact. Uh, no, We I may mean, not ever see these levels again in our lifetime. And, and that's difficult to really comprehend. And I understand why, I guess, but I'm not surprised by it. But but it's, wow, okay. Um, what about the, what are you, well, go ahead, Joe. Well, I don't know um, what you were going to ask, but uh, one thing I wanted to make sure we talk about, a few things I want to make sure we talk about um, is the war on cash, the future yes. of a cashless society, and um, being able to do that, how would they be able to do that? Uh, we've seen, especially I think it was in, in uh, Sweden and Norway and some of these countries that they have and are a majority, a heavy majority of uh, cash-free now, and they're moving towards these uh, models where the economy will work uh, basically as a di- digital economy only uh, with cards and card readers. Um, how long do you think until the United States puts forth a policy uh, trying to implement a cash-free United States? I think it's a number of years away, and I think we'd have to see negative interest rates, certainly in the U.S., as we've seen in Japan, Denmark, Sweden, Switzerland, and as you know, the ESDCB bank for the 18 nations that make up the euro. I don't think we're going to see, honestly, Joe, negative interest rates here in the U.S., but I do believe, you know, shortly after the election, we're going to see a QE4. I think this economy is very sick. I think the recovery has been very anemic and illusionary on balance. And the bigger concern is we've never started a recession if one has already begun with interest rates at these low levels. That, to me, is a big concern because, as you know, the Fed's talking about raising rates and raising them sometime before uh, the end of the year or early next year, and that that could be very problematic. Hmm. All right. That was that was kind of my question too. I was wondering about the, you know, the, the war on cash and, and the the um, digital uh, digital commerce. Uh, the more I see, I mean, I I I don't. I mean, you you go shopping, you go grocery shopping. You never see anyone whip out a twenty dollar bill anymore, hardly. No, you don't. It's you know, it's all it's all it's all uh, digital. Um, all right, so so I. I Wow, but, but but there's some hope in what you're saying here because as I'm hearing this, yeah, we have, we've got problems, but it's sick. The economy's sick, but the immediacy of of everything crashing may not. I mean, it might not be as as, as immediate as people uh, are believing. I don't think we can right. lose sight of the fact that we're still the greatest country in the world. We've been through depressions, we've been through world wars, and we'll get through this. 
I think the key is preparation, understanding what's happening, and then even more importantly, understanding what you can and should be doing about it. And I think there are things we can and should be doing about it. And I've said many times we prepare for the worst, but we hope for the best. But it comes down to everyone doing what's ever necessary to take care of themselves and their family. That's the bottom line, Doug. Gotcha. Well, well that, that's uh, that's good advice, to be sure. Um, all right. Um, all right. Well, in the remaining few minutes we've got left, what would you advise people? Now, of course, again, I, I want to make sure that you, uh, um, that, that we, uh, uh, I mean, may, may certainly give out give out the information for your newsletter. But also, what would you advise people to be doing? Again, in a nutshell, uh, economically, obviously, preparing. You gave us three good. Uh, uh, three good aspects: per, uh, preservation of wealth, liquidity, and of course, safety. But, but give, go ahead and give out the information for your newsletter and uh, any straightmoneyanalysis.com is the website. One year subscription two fifty nine ninety five. Six month subscription one forty nine ninety five. You have any questions about the newsletter or the topics we write about in every issue of the newsletter? Just give me a call. We'll be more than glad to answer any questions you may have. We answer every email, and I'll take anyone's call who wants to take the time to put a call in to me and speak with me directly. I'm probably the only newsletter writer, Doug, in America that'll take a call from a subscriber, but I'm proud to say we've always done it from the very first issue of the newsletter, going back to when I started the newsletter in September 2009. You know, yeah, and I and I really, folks, I really like that about... Uh, Joseph Meyer, I really like that about straight uh, money analysis. Uh, the fact that, uh, you can actually talk with the author, with the person behind the, the newsletter. And, and it, it's a, it's a very good, uh, uh, it's a, it's a wonderful uh, offer that you have with respect to the previous issues and, and such. So thank you for Honestly, that. Honestly, I don't think there's another newsletter like it in the country. That's why I sent it to you and I wanted you to see it and, Certainly appreciate your very kind comments uh, regarding the letter as well, Doug. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I'm going to tell you, man. It's uh, it's it is, as somebody I heard say it's it's worth its weight in in gold, uh, or, or you know your, your favorite commodity. Or I, I I messed up that that uh, that that phrase. It's but. the single best investment anyone can make for their financial future because it's a learning tool and it's going to really teach you what you need to know, why you need to know it. And lastly, what you can and should be doing about it with the information. That's what the newsletter is about. Amen, brother. Amen. Well, we thank you so much for your gift of time tonight, uh, Mr. Meyer. Um, uh, you know, I, I just I can't thank you enough. Um, any, any thoughts? I don't want to put you on the hot seat here, but I'm just curious as to uh, off the financial end of things. Any thoughts? Any any predictions on the? Uh, um, uh, domestic front here with the elections and any any well if we go back and we study history and again I think there's history here and it, it, it it's quite indicative of what we can expect if these markets continue to fall it would favor the opposing party winning the election if the markets go up from here they would favor the incumbent party so what I'm saying is if the markets continue higher into the election, it would signal a Hillary Clinton victory. And if the markets decline from these levels, it would signal historically a Donald Trump victory. 
But markets historically, aside of this uh, analysis, usually go up into an election and go down thereafter. But I think this market is very tired, it's very overextended, and I think this market's getting ready to start a pretty nasty decline. So although things may not look positive for Donald Trump at this time, I can't rule out that eventually he'll regain his footing and he'll win the election in November. Interesting, interesting prediction. I'm going to, uh, in fact, I just documented that. Going to be following, <laughs> following that, and uh, I'm going to be calling on November 9th. I'm going to, okay. really going to say, "Man, you were right." Or, hey, we got to rethink this. But uh, Joseph Meyer, thank you so much. Uh, God bless you, my friend. Thank Straight you so money, much for your time. Analysis.com. Yeah. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Joe. Pleasure to visit with the Hackman Report. We truly appreciate it. Thanks again. All right, brother. Thank you. Have a good night. We'll talk again soon. Oh, folks, that was Joseph Meyer from uh, StreamMoneyAnalysis.com. You know, it's amazing to talk with with him, to know that his uh, he he watched. I mean, th- think about the history he's seen, and and the context in which he is, the backdrop that he's using for his analysis of today. Um, a lot of information there, a lot of stuff, and, and it's you know, and you heard him. I mean, it's not a sky is falling kind of thing. No. This is rough. Expect it to be rough. But prepare. Preservation, liquidity, and safety. Three, three factors that he was talking about. Very interesting. And his newsletter, i got to tell you, his newsletter is something that I've... And I've seen financial newsletters before. He, this is a lot different. And, and I'm not, you know, I'm not necessarily just promoting newsletters at all. But, but his is a lot different and a lot more... Um, Prescient, prescient to me, anyway. I believe uh, the average guy, okay, um, not having a lot of money, of course, and you know. So that's. Uh, but, but we we thank him for his uh, generous gift of time. So, uh, speaking of the money, though, I wanted to get back uh, to the, the the money that that uh, Hillary Clinton, and I have to I have to go to this Joe, and then to close out this hour. Uh, the Saudi Arabia, Qatar, bankrolling ISIS and the Clinton Foundation. We were talking about money, and I think this is so doggone important because the media is not really focusing in on this. Instead, they're focusing in on the uh, lewd, lascivious stuff, the, the scandalous stuff, which, you know, does have its place. And I don't know, did you, this kind of a side note here, did you see Michelle Obama's tearful, oh my goodness, um, uh, uh, speech about uh, Donald Trump. You know, the, the, did you happen to see that, Joe? No, I've seen headlines about it. Though oh, apparently, she didn't man. reference him by name. And the White House has come out and told Trump that Michelle o- to retaliate against Michelle Obama is off limits. <laughs> but, um, but, but Michelle Obama is, was Rush Limbaugh talked about today how she had, is bringing she had brought some uh, rapper to the White House who, uh, <laughs> you know, that. Uh, yeah. Shows the hypocritical nature of her claims about you know the um, uh, the rhetoric Trump used about women, and um, yes, yes, some of the media outlets are calling Michelle Obama one of Hillary's uh, you know secret weapons, which I don't know how effective. I don't know how many people would actually listen to her. And, oh, and the, one the, thing I want to say about are the deifying Michelle the, Obama, the people who are going to vote for Hillary Clinton at this juncture. Um, I don't think anything would change their mind do, do to reverse so, that. 
Yeah, well, well, okay. So, Joe, let me ask you: Do you think that that there are any undecideds out there? Or do you think everyone's pretty much made up their mind? I I wouldn't. I mean, obviously, there's some undecideds out there, but you know, um, I would hope that somebody who is undecided at this point would take a closer look at both candidates, their policies, and do the sit down and do the research outside of what the mainstream media has been telling people about the candidates. So, okay, let me ask this: Is there anything? Then, is there anything that we could disclose about Hillary Clinton on this radio program? Let's, let's say somebody came to our studio and said, I've got this bombshell for you, and here it is, and we authenticate it, and it's verified, and it's verifiable, and it's explosive, and it's really something, I mean, short of, you know, murder, of course. Um, or maybe not, I don't know. Is there anything at all? Well, there's speculation you know, about could, a video of Hillary Clinton calling an African American the N word. I've seen that. There is. Um, I'm sure she said a lot less or a lot worse. Oh yeah, I'm sure. But you know, when you think of uh, her base voters, um, Democrats, minorities, or, or what even her own staff and the released emails, you know, are going after. It's even come out, and this would be a good time to get into this. Um, there was an interesting article in the Washington Times today about the WikiLeaks uh, release and how Clinton campaign mocks Catholics, Southerners, and needy Latinos in emails. I saw that. And yeah. there are other emails that show, you know, we talked about and have been talking about the email releases and how they influenced and what they talk about with the primary election, how the Democratic National Committee had and the media had uh, worked together with the Clinton campaign to pretty much steal the primaries from Bernie Sanders Bernie Sanders and these emails show you know that Hillary Clinton really does not care about people even the people that are backing her right um as she's you know calling them names um and I think that even if a, a video did drop of her uh, calling an African American the N word I don't think the media would pick it up the way we would expect them to but I mean uh, I I, I it, it, regardless it of matter. the media, I mean, I, I mean, is there anything at all that would that would cause? Uh, no, like we talk about Obama, she could eat a uh, man, you know, drink a dead baby's blood on the steps of the White House in the broad daylight in front of media cameras, and they would spin it and explain it away as though it were something regular and normal. Uh, yeah, there's also allegations about a a, a video being released, but. The rape video of Bill Clinton and an underage uh, right. person. Well, um, and I believe those videos do exist. Believe me. Oh, they, um, they exist. Um, this is how, you know, these people are blackmailed, influenced into doing the bidding of, you know, the people above them. But, but I think, I think of all of the news headlines and everything that we're seeing, perhaps the, as we, as we lead into this election of 2016, and I do believe that this election is, is, one of the most important events of our lifetime. And, and you may not think that, folks. You may think, well, it doesn't really matter who's in the White House. It doesn't really matter. But I think it does to some extent, especially given, uh, given Trump, but, uh, given his, uh, uh, what his announced intentions are. However, we don't know if that's going to be, end up to, to be the case. But I think, I think, but what, if nothing else, what we have seen here, uh, I think we've seen the, Ugliness. We, we've seen the inside, the peek into the sausage making factory or how they make 
chicken nuggets. I noticed I didn't say any. You know, I mean, no, seeing the under ugly underbelly of of the uh, sausage making factory here or the hot dog making factory. I think that that's what we've seen, and I think that a lot of people have been exposed to who they really are. But I think one of the biggest things here, a couple of big things, war, World War III, I'm, I'm convinced that we are at the precipice of, of a third world war, of a global war, and it's going to be quick. It's going to be extremely quick. It's going to, you know, you're going to wake up one day. And, quick part. I mean, the, the fact that it it's going to be happens quick in coming, right. and it's going to be quick in... That's what I don't know about getting over with. No, no, no. I mean the initial hostilities, but the the blow, uh, remainder, the blow, um, the collateral effect of it is going to be long-standing, folks. You're listening to the Hagman Report on this on this beautiful, beautiful fall day in 2016, just uh, days, weeks, weeks away from the 2016 presidential election. We've got war looming on the horizon, economic disasters. We've got all sorts of uglies coming from all directions, except for you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening, and God bless you. And uh, God bless uh, each and every one of you. We're going to be right back. Stay right where you're at. and every one of you for joining us. Thanks for your belief and trust in us as we walk through this minefield of current events together. Joe Hagman, my son, myself, Doug Hagman, something I like to call America's premier father-son investigative reporting team coming to you um, every night, every weeknight, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, I just want to reaffirm our commitment to you. Uh, you've given us three hours of your time every night or portions thereof. And, and I hope that we have, and we are delivering to you a quality product that you can, um, you can get information, knowledge, and, um, inspiration as well. You know, we're all in this together. We're, we're, each and every one of us are in this together. None of us are, are better than the other. Um, that's the way I look at it anyway. We're all going to suffer through whatever is coming together. Um, and we all need to give each other a hand up and be together, uh, you know, be, uh, I, I don't know how else to say it, but, but be, uh, be that person for the other person that you'd want to treat others as you would want to be treated, I guess. An interesting, an interesting tidbit from the email disclosure, the WikiLeaks disclosure. John Podesta actually owned seventy-five thousand shares in a Putin-connected energy company. I don't know whether Joe that's, Lee, or, uh, yeah, Joe Lee. He had uh, Jewel, 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 seventy-five thousand common yeah. shares, mm-hmm. uh, and according to the new WikiLeaks hack. Um, the subject line: Podesta outstanding docs for Joe Joe Jewel Jewel. Yeah, and, uh, and I, I I had to ask people how to pronounce that because uh, yeah, Jewel it's Jewel. Which shows the you know furthering the hypocrisy into the Hillary Clinton campaign. 
as she continues to push the the narrative that Trump is, you know, closely aligned with the Russian uh, president and government, when in fact it's her own aides and and uh, you know campaign managers and personnel who are literally uh, involved in selling you know minerals and uh, other uh, things mined in the United States to. Well, you know these Russian companies, and but, but but see, here's the problem for Podesta and for Hillary Clinton, okay, and for Obama. If anyone cares, if anyone wants to to prosecute something like this, Podesta did not fully disclose his position on Jewel Unlimited. He was he was part of the board of directors. Um, and he did not include that in his financial, uh, federal financial disclosures uh, as required by law before he became Obama's senior advisor, which is a very precarious position to be in. Um, it, it, in fact, it, it, it's, it's not just an admission or an omission. It appears that he's, he was attempting to hide, uh, his connection to Jewel Unlimited, which exacerbates the problems and it negates that oh hey I, you know it was an oversight so this is a commission not an omission and that's where the problem should exist now you've got of course folks I mean when, when you've got the lawlessness of uh, Billy Bob Clinton you know uh, Mr. Tallywhacker himself going on uh, on um, uh, Lynch's aircraft on the tarmac in uh, Phoenix, and talking about golf and grandkids and such, right? And no, that's not that's not no. what happened. Uh, you've, you, we've lost the we've lost we we we've this our government has become a, a tyranny. It, it's it's nothing more than a tyranny, nothing less than a tyranny. But this is not a, a this is not a small matter. Um, think about this: John Podesta, again being on the board of directors of Jewel Unlimited, which received millions from a Putin-connected Russian government fund. It included, as you pointed out, seventy-five thousand common shares. WikiLeaks uncovered this, and. Um, well, there it is. I mean, is this is this criminal? I I suspect it would be if I'm looking at this from an investigative viewpoint. Yes. No. No. And it blows my mind when I hear or I see people writing. Well, there's there's no smoking guns in, in, in these these emails. Yeah. I mean, you've got to you've got to go through these emails. And, and then you've got to line them up. Uh, you create a timeline. We've got a, a whiteboard. Um, maybe this later this week I'll show this whiteboard that contains a timeline. The timeline of the Clinton Foundation is such that it, it puts Benghazi in perspective. It, it puts uh, um, the email, the, the server, uh, the emails in perspective, the server destruction. There are five people. That we can name right now, including but not limited to Cheryl Mills and and others who I I believe are guilty of criminal offenses. Podesta included Sidney Blumenthal as well. Again, this is my personal opinion. Um, engaged in criminal activity, 
as well as Hillary Clinton and, and Bill Clinton and Chelsea Clinton, all three of the Clintons um, as well. So, but but yet the focus is on the character of Donald Trump. Well, uh, he yeah, I, I agree that what a bunch of who look. I would never say what Trump said. Um, I don't ever think. I don't think I've ever said anything like that. I don't. I don't remember. Not not like that. Oh, I've said some bad things, but but my goodness, not like that. But that's that's not criminal. That's just bad taste. Um, that's just horrible. That's just being crass. There's a huge difference between being crass and being criminal. Now. I'm not going to go off on that, that tangent, but but you can see from there. But one of the things I want to finalize here, Joe, is this, um, because I think this is so important. Again, Joe Klein pointed this out, and I wanted to expand upon this, the Saudi Arabian and Qatari connection to ISIS and the Clinton Foundation, because I think that this, you talk about the, the real issue here, you've got ISIS that, that is that was created, and you hear Trump saying, Hillary Clinton, Obama created ISIS. You've got to understand that's a true statement. And people refuse to believe that, but it's a true statement. And not by virtue or solely by a vacuum of leadership. No. They created ISIS with the intent. There was intent behind the creation of ISIS. If you look back at the August 2014 email from Hillary Clinton to Podesta, uh, again, he's the guy that uh, is involved in her campaign. The governments of Saudi Arabia and Qatar have been providing clandestine financial and logistical support to ISIS and other Sunni groups, terrorist groups in the region. Obama came out in December of 2014, that same year, what, three, four months later, saying, uh, oh, Saudi's, Saudi Arabia, they're helping us defeat ISIS. Well, no, no, we're fund, or they're funding, uh, ISIS. And, uh, uh, they're on the same. We're on the. We're on. We're actually helping them fund ISIS. There was a meeting in Washington with the with uh, the ministry, uh, the minister of interior of Saudi Arabia, and I mentioned his name before, Prince Mohammed bin Naif bin Abdul Aziz. And and at a meeting he hosted with Sheikh Tamim bin Hamad Al Thani, who happens to be the Emir of Qatar. At the White House in February of 2015, Obama said, look, Qatar is a strong partner in the coalition to degrade and ultimately defeat ISIS. But if you look beyond that, if you, if you look beyond that, that erroneous and deliberately dis- deceptive characterization, um, Obama and the Hillary Clinton State Department created the environment that caused the creation of ISIS and then fertilized the growth of ISIS through the financing of Saudi Arabia and Qatar using the Clinton Foundation as a conduit. Now, both with money coming in and money going out. And I know that sometimes when you get into financial investigations, um, and this is when I did... Uh, a lot of uh, financial investigations and fraud, you know, for insurance carriers or, and, and for Fortune 100 companies. I had to call in like experts because I 
man, this, this stuff loses me, man, you know. But you can see, you can see through the murkiness. But in this case here, you've got, uh, the Saudi Arabian government front groups and individuals linked to, um, uh, well, you've got, uh, uh, let me just, let me state this differently here so it's actually relatively cl- uh, clear here. You have, uh, um, Saudi Arabian government front groups and individuals linked to the government that have been implicated in the involvement directly with 9-11. So when you take 9-11 and you look at the individuals in the United States involved in the operational facilitation of the attacks of 9-11, trace the money back, and of course it goes right back to Saudi Arabia, it goes right back to Qatar. Now, <clears throat> the the same people from the Saudi royal family and the Qatari royal family, and I'm not going to repeat their names, um, identified by American intelligence services to be facilitators of the 9-11 attacks, have direct connections to Hillary, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, the Clinton Foundation, that does include Chelsea Clinton, but equally, the Bush family as well. We've got to throw them in there as well. And when the FBI was getting close to, and they were on the tail of the, uh, when, when they were conducting the, the, the FinCEN, the financial uh, crimes uh, uh, investigations before the attacks of 9-11, they were identifying these people. They were called off by the administration. Uh, by the Bush administration, by the Justice Department at that time. It's important to understand. Uh, in fact, um, this goes back even, this predates even Bush. It goes back into the Clinton administration. And one might ask, well, you know, Clinton, and if folks remember this, Clinton had that, he was afforded the ability to, to wipe out, to, to bomb Osama bin Laden. Well, why didn't he do it to, 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 to you know, to get rid of him because of the financial interests that were already in play at the time. It's all about the money. Um, and and the, the money that, that uh, the Bin Laden family, their financial relationship with Saudi Arabia, they basically own Saudi Arabia, own a big chunk of it. Our financial serv- uh, intelligence agencies were involved in the investigation. At least the foot soldiers were involved in the investigation of the terrorists. However, they were overruled by the upper echelon who answered not to. Uh, well, they, they, they were controlled by the, the Bush administration, the Clinton families, and ultimately, as time progressed, the Clinton Foundation. These are, this information is contained in the emails and verified. So, with all of the things that are going on out there with Trump and, you know, with, uh, even with Hillary, what's the big issue here? The big issue is when you start deconstructing everything, you can see how we've been played, not for the last year, not for the last eight years under Obama, but for the last 30 years, uh, or 25 years, beginning with, uh, Clinton with Bill Clinton, with his administration, moving forward. And one last thing here, Hillary's email, uh, what makes some of those, those disclosures noteworthy, this according to Joe Klein now, uh, 
is the irony that the governments of Saudi Arabia and Qatar and groups aligned with them have not only been major funders of ISIS and other terrorist organizations, as she indicated, but also have been big funders of the Clinton Foundation for years. Now, Hillary has had no trouble making money for her foundation from the uh, from the regimes that fund terrorists, oppress women, execute or imprison uh, homosexuals and Christians, uh, and severely punish the exercise of free speech. So, there you have it. The, I mean, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia contributed between 10 and 25 million dollars to the Clinton Foundation through June of 2016. Now that, that, there's a wide margin there of money because they only have to talk in approximations. They don't have to give you, so you gotta figure up upwards of 25 million was given by Saudi Arabia to the Clinton Foundation through 2016. And this is according to Clinton Foundation's own website itself, okay? Um, Wealthy individuals with close ties to the Saudi royal family have donated additional millions. So, I mean, one example that they use here is Nasser, Nasser al-Rashid. He's a multi-billionaire advisor to the Saudi royal family, donated upwards of $5 million to the Clinton Foundation. What's that about? And then there's this group called Friends of Saudi Arabia contributing between one in five million, upwards of five million dollars. The National Review, this according again to Joseph Klein, uh, described this group as a thinly veiled PR firm uh, of the repressive Saudi regime. Now, ask yourself, in light of all of this, where does people like Huma Abedin fit into the picture? A staunch Muslim Brotherhood with a staunch Muslim Brotherhood pedigree. How did she suddenly rise from intern and intern, NYU intern, to where she's at, you know, Hillary's uh, pal, shall we say? Um, what about people like Valerie Jarrett, you know, Clinton's other, or uh, Obama's other half? What about the infiltration of DHS by Muslim Brotherhood uh, impl- uh, uh, people? These are all Saudi apologists. And so, so what we're seeing here, just to be clear, and, and Joe Klein also makes reference to this, and, I'll, and then I'm just going to pass this off to you, Joe. But the State of Guitar and the government-run uh, World Cup Guitar Host Committee, they contributed to the Clinton Foundation the state of Qatar gave upwards of $5 million to the Clinton Foundation. The World Cup host committee from that same country, known as the Supreme Committee for Qatar 2022, donated a half a million dollars to the foundation. The Supreme Committee for Qatar 2022 is an extension of the Qatari government, and its board of directors is headed by Emir Sheikh Tamim bin Hamad Al Thani, and consists of other high-level government officials, including the country's prime minister. Now, think about the influence that is purchased when Clinton, Hillary Clinton, is Secretary of State, and you've got foreign governments and individuals like this donating to the Clinton Foundation as countries and as individuals of those countries. What kind of juice does that buy? them when they're donating to a, 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 a foundation that is under the control of the Secretary of State. It's all about 
buying access and buying favors. Yet none of this is really being talked about. Donald Trump mentioned this, and and I do believe this is why he had mentioned about you know her being uh, uh, tossed in jail. Because to me, and I think to anyone else, um, this is sedition, treason. And I, lastly, I read a letter. I, I did actually, in fact, I, I should post it on our website. There was a letter from Charles Grassley, the chairman, Senator, he's the chairman of the Committee on the Judiciary, to Attorney General Loretta Lynch this past August. In fact, it was dated August 25th, 2016. you got to read this letter, folks. Grassley noted that prior to Clinton's tenure as Secretary of State, the nation of Qatar was the recipient of approximately $271 million in military-related export deals. Now think about this, and I'm going to close with this. $271 million in military-related export deals. This is, um, this is prior to Hillary's Secretary of State tenure. Okay? Keep that number in mind. $271 million. Now, when she became Secretary of State, that same country, Qatar, was the recipient of approximately $4.3 billion, which represents nearly a 1,500% increase. You think that there's any connection there? And, and, oh, what about Saudi Arabia? 97% increase in such export deals during her tenure as Secretary of State. You think there's treason? You think there's seditious activity? Do you think there's criminal activity involved here? Those are, those are not small numbers. And yet we're talking about, uh, about, about, uh, Trump's potty mouth and, and how, oh, how offended uh, you know, Joyce Behar and, and the, the, the women from The View are. Oh, my goodness. Did you see... Let's uh, talk real, real criminality here. Uh, Joyce Bear from The View calling the uh, the uh, rape victims and sexual assault victims of Bill Clinton tramps this week. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting about that is if it was any conservative talking head... <laughs> Uh, on their news media show, they would be fired almost instantly. Um, and the next day she issued a very unsincere short apology that uh, she didn't even say what she said she was joking. Um, yeah, but this is the, you know, this is the type of collusion you see with the Clinton campaign and the media and they really can't be distinguished from one another. Um, some people are saying that the media is the Clinton campaign, and they even you know, the Podesta emails and others show a, a very tight knit relationship with certain reporters at just about every network on every network on mainstream media. Mm-hmm. And today, um, Clinton had to answer questions under penalty of perjury in Bill or Hillary. Hillary in her email lawsuit, Hillary Clinton submitted formal answers under the penalty of perjury on Thursday about her use of a private email server saying 20 times that she did not recall the requested information or related discussions while also asserting that no one ever warned her that the practice could run afoul of laws on preserving federal records. Secretary Clinton states she did not recall being advised, cautioned, or warned, and she does not recall that it was ever suggested to her or 
uh, recall participating in any communication conversation uh, discuss, that discussed her use of ClintonEmail.com. Uh, the email server she was using while con- uh, being part of the State Department. Now, that completely contradicts even some of the email releases because um, it's even been shown in the email releases that she, uh, and I'm pulling up right here, I'm going to read this um, this uh, email, part of this email, that uh, was to John Podesta about what Hillary was doing with the emails. She writes um, about the you know emails and attorneys that were involved with this and how they were going to... While we know all of the occasional use of personal email addresses for business, none of my friends' circle can understand how it was viewed okay, secure, or appropriate to use a private server for secure documents and why, further, Hillary took it upon herself to review them and delete documents without providing anyone outside her circle a chance to weigh in. It smacks of acting above the law and it smacks of the type of thing I've either gotten discovery sanctions for or fired people for. That's a email to Podesta from a Clinton campaign employee that's admitting that she took it upon herself to review and delete documents. No, and and she emails. did this herself, okay, Absolutely. which is important to understand. I don't know how to work this. I don't know how to do this. And, and she wipes out the, she deletes the emails herself. And other uh, emails show that Clinton aides urged denying any secrets were sent in WikiLeaks and that they had any knowledge of anybody deleting the emails. And um, this is just it's a continuation of yeah. the level of corruption. So it's, I mean... Just from the emails alone, in which Hillary Clinton is not even contesting the authenticity of the emails, the main talking point about the emails is that, you know, they originated from Russia, which has nothing to do with what is in them or uh, what they say, and has everything to do showing, you know, how evil and dark these people are and what lengths they will go to to make sure they maintain power. Yeah. And... It, it's just crazy that, you know, well, and, and here you have even Fox News and the establishment Republicans, you know, so offended and uh, just about Trump and what he has said. Even Michelle Obama called Donald Trump's behavior predatory. See, and, and there it is. Everyone is a professional victim nowadays. Mm-hmm. You've got you've got to have safe rooms. I mean, if we, we're a, a nation... Uh, many uh, uh, people are uh, within this nation are wimps. Did you see Come the on. Uh, colleges are going to have counselors and safe rooms yes. for yes. Halloween costumes and yes. people triggered by Halloween costumes? Really? I, I mean, yeah, well, uh, I can understand it if you, you know, with a Hillary mask or a, or a Bill Clinton mask or a... Nobody has a right not to be offended. Come on, man. I, I mean, grow up. You, you've got you've got Muslims, folks, over in Iraq, who declare they need to eat the flesh of a human being for Allah, their moon god Allah. They they took an innocent man. I don't know how many people saw this. They took a, a man off the street. They carved his heart out and ate it and ate it right in front of the group. He, the guy was still alive. And, and this Muslim freak, you talk about predator. Yeah, this is what's happening and you've got a bunch of wusses in this country that that, that they see uh that, that, that oh my goodness i'm so offended oh my goodness help me are, are you serious what are you gonna do 
when when you, when this comes to your city or your, it's already here, maybe you're just not seeing it. Uh, you got Muslim savages opening the heart, opening the chest cavity of a guy, ripping out his heart and consuming it in front of people, and yet you got people in this country offended. Oh, and having to, to get counseling for a remark, for a, a, a phrase, a word. Grow up. We're going to be right back, folks. You're listening to the Hagman and the Hagman Report for our final segment. We're just getting started. Folks, Hagman and Hagman Report. That's what you're listening to right now, watching right now. Thank you so much, Global Star Radio Network, for carrying our program. We're also live on BTR, Blog Talk Radio, and YouTube Live. Let me ask you a question. If you were going to kill somebody, would you put it in an email? That's a good question. (laughs) Would you? You know, now look, look. I know there's a couple of things. Hubris of some people. Oh, I'll never get caught. yeah, I can do that. I can put something in an email like that, right? So there's hubris, and then there's stupidity. So you've got you've got both that that are in play. Uh, you've got oh, I'll never get caught, or you know, man, nobody will ever read this or whatever. Well, that's the question surrounding WikiLeaks release uh, here. And I, folks, I don't know. You've probably seen this. Maybe you have. The internet has been blowing up over a document released among the Podesta emails. It's uh uh, involves Scalia. And, and here's how it goes. I'm going to toss this over to Joe too for some additional discussion. The, there were, there was a, and this is being reported in various, uh, various places on the internet. Now, I'll say this. We, we, we were accused once. Steve Quayle and I were accused once of soliciting wet work, okay, which wet work is slang for, in the intelligence industry, slang for assassination. We were accused of, uh, uh, you know, soliciting uh, wet work for uh, basically a nobody, uh, okay, Um, which is just ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous, but the accusation was out there. So I, I can understand how ridiculous this sounds, but not, not not just hold the phone on this because you know you've got not not people like and I want to see normal people like like us because but you got these high dollar high profile high big you know big billionaires and gazillionaires and people who feel that they're they're, they're no one can touch them you know the, so you got that that hubris that mentality that ah oh, I'm too big too big to jail kind of thing. Well, it came out where one of the uh, websites was talking about uh, uh, there's a theory that that, that WikiLeaks email from Hillary uh, Clinton's chairman, John Podesta, to D.C. lobbyist Steve uh, Elmendorf. Now, Elmendorf was the former chief of staff to DNC leader Dick Dick Gebhardt, Gebhardt. I'm sorry. But wet work was discussed in an email. Now, why somebody would do that, I don't know. And it's it's almost like you're getting like in the middle of this conversation when you look at the email chain. So bear with us because and it's almost like you're picking this up in the middle of a, of a movie script. 
But Podesta wrote, didn't think what work, what works meant pool parties at the vineyard. Now, okay. Innocuous as that might sound, or perhaps not, I don't know. Elmendorf responds, yeah, I'm all in. Sounds like it will be a bad night. We all need to buckle up and double down. This is an, this is in response to Podesta's what work reference slang for assassination. Now, and again, the theory goes like this. The Podesta's use of what work implies an assassination. The references to pool and vineyard refer perhaps to the Cibolo Creek Ranch where Scalia's body was found. The ranch does have a pool, I might add, and it's believed that the vineyard uh, is just on the road. Now, the email was written four days, count them four days before Scalia was found dead on February 13th of, last, of, this, of this year. So, how quickly time flies. And you can find this in the WikiLeaks uh, dissemination, but again, we, we've copied everything onto a, onto a hard drive and are going through them independently. Now, do you believe that this was discussed beforehand? You know, you, you've got to make a bunch of leaps here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there, there were suspicious, and I think the reason this is gaining traction the way it is, one, is the terminology used in the email. Right. And then two, yes. uh, what's not, not helping the email. is the mysterious circumstances surrounding Justice Scalia's death, the reports of the pillow over his face, no autopsy being done, um, and the abrupt nature of his death mm-hmm. have uh, caused many to ask, you know, um, is this related? And he was found in a hotel room on the night of February 12th. These emails are from February 9th. Um, so they're in close proximity to each other. And again, when you, I didn't think wet works meant pool parties at the vineyard. And then the response to that is, I'm all in. And, uh, Steve, um, Elmendorf is a uh, gay lobbyist and Hillary Clinton delegate response. Sounds like it will be a bad night. We all need to buckle up and double down. The the one part of this email that I don't know about, and you can't, this is why you can't frame it around the Scalia death. Sounds like it will be a bad night. Could be talking about that night or it could be talking about Whatever well, night, yeah, you don't know. To. But, but but what 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 bothers me, what's troublesome to me, is many many uh, well known or well established conservatives, and and here's this to me should cover every topic that we talk about. In fact, I'm looking at at, at a popular conservative website. It, it writes uh, this individual writes um, the vineyard is how northeastern elites refer to Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, I, I get that. I understand that. That's that's true. And, and is almost certainly what this reference is. Well, that's speculation on that person's part, all right? And then the second sentence is, this absurd speculation based upon the, quote, wet works, end quote, phrase, has no evident connection to Justice Scalia's death. Well, well true. It, it doesn't mention Scalia. I, I understand that. But but here's the coup de grace, in my view. And this is what really closes off. Or when you're working investigations, this, to me, is a, a sin um, by investigators. And, and, and here's the, the, the coup de grace sentence or statement, trying to spin these tinfoil theories with zero evidence just makes us look bad. Okay, now now hold on a minute, all right? Uh, 
you, you, you can't, you, you, in my view, having been 30 years in, in the investigative field, you can't, you, you, you have to understand that people think differently. Than, not everyone thinks like you, all right? Not everyone thinks like me or like Joe. There are people out there that, that I mean, are really twisted, believe me. And even more than really twisted, they feel above the law. They feel insulated that they'll never get caught. I mean, my goodness, of all the people we're talking about, these people truly believe that they're above the law and won't get caught. Um, could this be, is this a smoking gun? Absolutely not. But I wouldn't dismiss this out of hand, at least not right yet. I would look at this objectively and without any presupposition, without any suppositions or, or pre, uh, you know, I would look at this objectively and attempt to collect additional information. Um, you know, especially when you have Scalia not being flown back for an autopsy, and not one, but actually, did you hear about this? Two two cremations. You know, uh, there's something really wrong with that whole that whole situation. Um, so I wouldn't dismiss it out of hand yet. Just to alert you, this is out there, and and I am convinced. I mean, look at Nixon when he was. In the, in the Oval Office, and he was knowing full well that there was a tape system there talking about, uh, talking about things. And what do you, what do you think that, that, that 18 minute gap was, or that, that, uh, uh, gap in the tape was? You know, where Rosemary Woods conveniently put her hand, uh, foot on the pedal in a race that, uh, 18 and a half minutes or whatever it was gap. Of course, you've got, uh, the hubris of people talking like this. So, anyway, um, you, you know, we just, I, I don't know. Just, it's out there. Uh, it's out there. Do, do you have anything to add, Joe? I mean. No, no. Um, and I guess we can just keep our eye on the, the story and see what, uh, if anything more comes out about this. There are uh, interesting updates um, one, I want to talk about this arms dealer. We, we mentioned this earlier in the week. Um, but there's a new report on the new American to hide Clinton yep. crimes. Obama drops case against arms dealer. And this yeah, goes you, back to Benghazi. yesterday. In an apparent effort to protect Obama and Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton, mm-hmm. the politicized Obama Justice Department dropped charges against an arms dealer accused of arming Obama and Clinton-backed Islamist terror groups. You got Turi. That's the Turi guy. Yep. yep. Among those receiving U.S. arms from the administration's illegal programs, the arms dealer said were Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and other terrorist organizations, some of which went on to topple and kill former Libyan dictator and U.S. government officials, uh, ally Muammar Gaddafi. Yep. If the explosives case had gone to trial, new details about Clinton's role in the illegal war in Libya and her support for jihad terrorism could have further damaged her scandal-plagued campaign and possibly added more evidence for a criminal prosecution of Clinton. Despite DOJ's efforts to prevent disclosure under the phony guise of national security, a federal judge ruled that the arms dealer could present the evidence that he had 
about Clinton and Obama or- orchestrating the illegal arming of Islamic terror groups in Libya and later Syria. And he describes, yeah. this Turi yeah. describes the process in which, um, how they would get the, the weapons by using Saudi Arabia and Qatar um, as basically drop points to funnel the weapons into these other countries or into the hands of these terrorist groups. And um, it's pretty eye-opening to see the extent of collusion between the government and, um, you know, these, these arms dealers. Even going so far, they ruined this guy's reputation. They ruined his business. And all for nothing, as the four felony charges that were filed in 2014 were dropped before a deadline for the Obama administration to produce a defense and other incriminating documents that the federal government's illegal arms shipments to the Middle East. Instead of complying, Obama's lawyers asked to permanently drop the charges. And uh, this now, uh, Turi is now blowing the whistle on the White House as they he claims they tried to make him a fall guy for the administration's illegal plot to arm terrorists and topple foreign governments. And we've seen this happen before. Well, okay, the, the Turi Defense Group is a global provider of NATO and non-NATO firearms, ammunition, supplies, and what have you. Uh, for the U.S. government, it's, it's allies, law enforcement, and private security companies. So he was working with the CIA. Exactly. Uh, as well as other intelligence operations. That's right. In a program designed to stop uh, Gaddafi's plan for gold currency. Um, yes, yes. And the arms were supposed to go through the United Arab Emirates and Qatar before ending up uh, in the Libyan rebels' hands, who were openly boasting of being affiliated with Al-Qaeda. Um, and the Obama administration knew all along who they were affiliated with, uh, along with the U.S. military, having identified the Libyan Islamic fighting group as Al-Qaeda operation in Libya almost a decade ago. And this this has this also has its reach. If you look closely at this, this touches on extortion 17, the, the takedown of the, the Chinook helicopter, extortion 17. Um, there was a, um, uh, there was a hard landing of a, uh, a Chinook helicopter, a U.S. Uh, Chinook helicopter in Afghanistan. They've, this around, the, I don't want to get too far down this road, but, um, they were hit by by a uh, uh, by a missile or part of a missile. Okay. Anyway, they upon inspection of this helicopter, they found a, a, a piece. Uh, and bear with me on this: uh, a piece of shrapnel or, or a, a part of that missile that that caused this landing. It, whatever the munition was, it didn't go off as as planned. Anyway. It was almost like they had a stamp made in the USA on this. Okay, there was there were fears at that time that this uh, this helicopter, this flight, had been downed. Um, and what I'm getting at is inside the, this helicopter, or inside this. I'm sorry, it's a, it was a uh, not a helicopter, but a, a, a CH-47. Inside this this aircraft were arms that were destined for. Um, Syria. So there were rumors as well. Now this happened right around the same time Extortion 17 happened. And Extortion 17, as Obama said, that was a lucky hit. Well, now there's, there's thoughts that there was something else related to, in addition to the SEAL team, uh, the coverage of 
covering covering up of of weapons transfers. It's I didn't do justice to that story, but understand that there's a spider web here of criminality that involves weapons, including uh, the uh, uh, what you're talking about the the, the Weapons going to Libya, other half to uh, uh, Syrian terrorist groups, or terrorist groups in Syria. Catherine Herridge d- d- does a great job on Fox News exposing this. But you're right. The, the DOJ dropping the charges here. Um, mm-hmm. these, the dismissal of charges is really a political move uh, as well. Because the um, it's asserted that this deal that was made averts a trial that would cast additional scrutiny on the Hillary Clinton email scandal or criminality during her tenure as Secretary of State. And if we can, before we go ahead, move on. I want to get to some of Terry's comments. Yeah, please. Um, That would be helpful. What he said was that about the weapons. Some may have went out under control that we had our personnel over there, and others went to these militia groups. Yep. That's how they lost control of it, Terry explained. I can assure you that these operations did take place, and those weapons did go in different directions. In response to a question about who exactly ended up with the weapons, uh, Terry did not mince words. All of them. All of them. In other words, Clinton and Obama provided material support, designated terror organizations, and extremely serious federal crime and then tried to pin the blame on a CIA contractor. It's completely un-American, Terry said. It is really ungodly and unjust and unconscionable that the entire force of the United States government came after me for a simple application. I was working for the U.S. government. I never shipped anything. I never received the contract. All I received was an approval for $534 million to support our interests overseas and would have been the United States uh, government that facilitated that operation from Qatar and the United Arab Emirates by way of allowing these countries to land their planes and land their ships in Libya. After the charges were dropped, Terry advisor and friend, um, you, you better have government relations, on them. Go, go <laughs> yeah. ahead. They, they slammed the uh, um, efforts of the Obama administration for trying to scapegoat Terry on Obama's own crabs in Libya and said the U.S. government spent millions of dollars, went all over the world to bankrupt him and destroy his life, all to protect Hillary Clinton's crimes. And um, he's not the only one, I think. Jack Abramoff? Abraham, uh, yeah. Uh, he said that Hillary Clinton, uh, uh, and this is on a separate note, than the arms deal, but he said <laughs> that the Clintons uh, are criminals and he had went to jail for things that she's done and he called Hillary one of the, the most corrupt person in the history of the United States this close to the presidency. Mm. He's a former super lobbyist who spent four years in prison himself for fraud and corruption, um, was on a show called the Jamie Weinstein Show, where he discussed the 2016 presidential race and the corruption in Washington and the lessons that he learned over his career, again, calling Hillary Clinton the most corrupt person in history of the United States to get this close to the presidency. Yeah, and uh, I... And that says a lot. Exactly. And I understand understand that. And this goes back to the numbers of the shadow government, because what you're talking about in this deal, when you're talking about the shadow government, you're talking about extrajudicial 
things taking place outside of the government. And those people who didn't hear the, these numbers initially, let me go over them quickly again. The shadow government consists of 1,271 government agencies involved in secret block ops work. That's 1,271 government agencies. Nearly 2,000, actually, to be clear, 1,931 large uh, private corporations or companies that, that are involved in this this kind of work, block ops work. 10,000 uh, secret intelligence locations uh, 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 located inside the United States and 4.8 million Americans who hold security clearances uh, bound by the secrecy agreement. This uh, by Kevin Shipp, among other sources, uh, who had given a recent speech at uh, Geoengineering Watch. But uh, the agencies that are involved in uh, this type of work include the CIA, uh, the NSA, and such, and also recently added NOAA and the National Weather Service. You've got to ask yourself why. And of course, the the key to these, um, the the hub of 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 these block ops and, and and the conduit for these is a program called InQtel. I N Q T E L. Remember that. And what we're seeing is a post-constitutional government here inside the United States. And Clinton, as you well pointed out, is by virtue of, of what, uh, what Turi said, one of the most corrupt criminal people ever get to get this close to the presidency of the United States. And if she does make it, and, and I fear that she does, I don't know. What are we in for? What are we in for? Well, honestly, I don't think Obama is even close to her in the corruption arena. I, I can't say that with any Manchurian candidate. Obama. I'm not I sure mean, Obama even knows who he is. But, I mean, she. it's been well established that she's been a criminal since Arkansas. And sure, from hiding her husband's sexual assault cases, to setting Larry up her Nichols own has been pay for access. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, Larry Nichols uh worked for the Clinton campaign, has yeah. been a guest on our show and many other shows, talks yep. about in detail the extent of the criminality in the Clinton campaign. And uh in the closing minutes here, I definitely want to touch on this. We mentioned this. Michelle Obama came out today and, and verbally attacked Trump and now the White House warns Trump not to attack the first later lady after <laughs> she had went after him. Yeah. And um the White within hours the White House issued a statement warning Trump not to attack the first lady. I can't think of a bolder way for Donald Trump to lose even more standing than he has already than by engaging the first lady of the United States, Eric Schultz told reporters aboard Air Force One. And um, she turned up too in her speech, where she said, uh, "I just, I'll just give you one sentence here." Well, she spoke forcefully about the hurtful impact the uh, Trump talk had generally is cast on the American nation or American women, that is, um, who still find themselves regularly subjected to humiliating and unwanted advances. And she said, "Oh, this is not normal." Now she never named Trump, but uh, which is common. Um, this is not politics as usual. This is disgraceful. This is intolerable. Yet, yeah, okay, that's that's what's intolerable. That's what's disgraceful. Okay, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not trying to minimize <laughs> the, the, the the crass comments, but uh, relative on balance, come on, are you are you serious? 
Yeah. And um, the, the article on PJ Media here goes on to say, if the White House doesn't want Trump to go after Michelle, they should have thought of that before they unleashed the first lady against the GOP candidate. It's absurd for the White House to claim that Michelle Obama is off limits to criticism when she has engaged in bitter partisan tirades against Trump herself. The press has treated Michelle Obama <laughs> with kid gloves for eight years, despite her being fair game due to oh, her yeah. meddling in public policy. She has received yeah, yeah. very little criticism for the spectacular failure of her school lunch program, as kids would rather go hungry than eat this her uh, the swill her food Nazis want to force on them to consume. Yeah, let's have let's have a Michelle Obama lunch here. <laughs> we'll get an apple and a and a piece of stale bread, and uh, I don't know. We, we should we should do one of those Michelle Obama lunches. Uh, Eric's smiling. And no, uh, last thing on Michelle Obama, Lim, Rush Limbaugh calls her a hypocrite as she invites a rapper to the White House. Who Donald? Uh, I don't. They don't give a name, so I don't know who this uh, entertainer person is. But Rush Limbaugh. Uh, goes on to say that um, how you know rappers talk about their sexual escapades in their lyrics, and you know whoever this rapper is is going to the White House apparently falls into that category. And um, he goes on to say she not only invited them to the White House to perform and then bestowed great honors on them, um, she turns around and. Uh, she has no comment on her husband's parading around in an airplane in 2007 video, which apparently CNN has had and sat on since 2007, which could yes. have affected the last. Uh, the You're talking about the tent pole video, right? Yeah, and I I didn't watch that Sorry, video, folks. Yeah, um, I did, but I yeah. tried to gouge my eyes out. What do people CNN? think about him? I mean, would that have even uh, you know made uh, a difference? Uh, 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 I guess it doesn't matter at this I, point. But. I don't know the backstory. I mean, I, I don't know the backstory behind that because there there was no backstory. There was just the video. Yeah. What was he doing? The, folks, if you don't know what I'm talking about, consider yourself lucky. Mm-hmm. What was he doing? Were, were he, I don't know. I, I don't know. But One thing this, this election um, has shown me is in these email leaks is... How, just on both sides, even I guess it doesn't matter how deprived a lot of these people are. And depraved, depraved, not, de- not and, deprived. And, yeah, not deprived. No, they're, depraved. they're hardly deprived. And, they're all deprived. Yes. Well, they're deprived of any decency or right. Uh, and, and the sexual nature, the sexual aggressiveness of a lot of these people. You know, a lot of stories have come up um, on from both sides. You know, uh, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton. I mean, this seems to be what these people are into, and it it might be a blackmail thing. Why, you know, it seems that so many people who are hung up on this stuff seem to make their way to positions of power. Maybe it's their personality types. I don't know. But the um, level of corruption on the Democratic side, they will stop at nothing to win this election. You know, we've heard comments about potential assassination attempts on Trump or even uh, Bernie Sanders. And I would not put that out of the realm of possibilities if, say, something happens, something's released that, that paints Hillary Clinton in a really bad light, it makes its way around yeah. actual media, gets to, to the home of everyday Americans uh, out there, 
that changes the the public perception of Hillary Clinton. I would not put that out of the realm of possibilities that um, that they would try some type of assassination, launch a war yeah. to stop the election, and that's a good destroy point. the internet. I mean, there is no lengths. If they feel that they are on the verge of their having their um, empire crumble, it, 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 and, and folks, it's that serious. And and I think war m- may be maybe closer than people realize given given the and I'm looking at Russia based on the actions in Syria but there's also the China factor with North Korea South Korea there are so many possibilities here but I do believe that now and and I think everyone agrees or would agree that we are in the most dangerous time in in, in recent modern history between now and inauguration day and even after that um, the next six months is really going to tell the tale of the direction of this country. But you know what? We're not going to find moral or spiritual victory in any one man. It's got to come from within all of us. So we need to hit, hit our knees and pray for uh, our salvation and pray for the salvation of, of, of the people in this country as well. But it's got to come from, from within, from the bottom up, not from the top down. That's right. We've reached the end of our show. Tomorrow, Dr. Ted Breuer will be our guest Hitting to close the week stuff. out. Yeah. Yep. And um, we got a great week next week. Uh, Dinesh D'Souza, Carl Gallups, as well as many others. We will make yeah. sure we give you Dinesh the list D'Souza. tomorrow uh, for next week. Folks, have a great night. Well, thanks, John Robertson, too. God bless. Yeah, and thank John Robertson and Joseph Meyer. Uh, John set that up for tonight. And uh, have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow.